Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. This is Kyle Preselinski. And this is Matt Carmack. And this is Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! I am so excited today to have Kyle and Matt to talk all things Twilight Kin, talk a little bit of Mantic Army design, Mantic Army philosophy. Really excited to have you guys here together. This episode's going to be coming out in the next couple weeks, but as we record it, we're uh, getting super close to the UK Clash of Kings, right, guys? Uh, that's just crazy to hear that we're going to be having a tournament with that many people coming up. Very exciting. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, we've... Uh, I think they're pushing 130 right now, something like that. It's, uh, they, I mean, they had 150 signups. There's a couple of drops. There's a few tickets available that people were kind of coming in last minute. I'm not sure where their final number is, but it's obviously uh, a very good thing. And something that a good measuring stick for how well the game is doing is obviously tournament attendance. So when we see more and more people showing up to events, that's, you know, we're, we're getting back to that pre-pandemic level of of engagement and, you know, people getting together to actually be in a single room to play kings of war that's a fantastic sign yeah congrats to steve hildrew i know he's been putting a lot of work into that event there looks sounds like all the lists are getting turned in and i think with any tournament you're going to always have attrition right you always have the people who are like oh i can't make it my car broke down or you know my uh uh, girlfriend sick or whatever you're always going to lose those those few people right before an event that's just like a normal a normal part of of tournaments casualty of doing it but you know yeah, exactly. we've, we've got a good community and i think a lot of people uh go out of their way you know back in the day i remember international players coming over um i think who is who's over there now uh Gaddafi, right like he he flew over yeah and... mm -hmm. he came from singapore and i imagine you have a, a bunch of people from europe have all flown over um, i know countercharge emeritus mark Zelinsky is going so mm. You know, I know it's going to be a pretty big who's who international uh, going to be there. So I'm sure the Spanish are going to come back and try to defend their title. Yep. Uh-huh. Hardcore. The hardcore Those guys. guys. Are serious. Yeah. Yeah. The serious dudes. No, I think it's fantastic. It's great for the game. Yeah. It's just like you said, it's it's awesome to see it growing and to see such a such a big event. I mean, I have this dream one day. I, it's like I want to go to all the Clash of Kings. You know what I mean? To like, I think that would be so cool to be like. Oh, I'd love to go to Australia. You, you know what I mean? Exactly. I want to go to Australia so bad and just and just kind of like travel the world. And as a side note, like incorporate Kings of War into that like world travel would be so much fun. Going to Clash, you know, I've been there the past couple of years, and it's it's been it is a really good tournament. All the UK players are just outstanding people, and it's always a blast to be there. It, it's such a different vibe from the US, and it, you know, there's a lot of similarities. Obviously, the vein of the Kings of War players are there, but when, when you're there and you're with different people from a you know different country, different culture, uh, it's 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 just great. It's we've got a great community. Yeah, so great. 
Um, well, let's do a quick around, around the horn hobby update. Let's start with you, Matt. What have you been up to hobby wise? Are uh, uh, and it could be anything, right? I, I know you've probably been will be as we'll be talking about tonight, busy with uh, RC stuff. But um, have you been streaming any video games? I know you have your your streaming channel. You've been putting any models together. What have you been, you've been up to? Uh, not all that much. Uh, I took a break last year from events because I was streaming the U.S. Masters, so I couldn't qualify, or rather, even if I did qualify, I was going to always drop to stream it. So I took that opportunity to just kind of take a casual year, so to speak. I played my off factions, my not competitive lists, my casual play. Um, at a couple of events, I just let people give me armies to play, which was pretty fun. So with this year, uh, the ability to qualify again, I've been trying to get back out to events. So I brought out my uh, EOD to Bison, and that was a fun event. Um, did not perform well, but uh, it was still a great event. Got to meet a lot of new people, see, as Kyle was just describing, the growth in the game and the uh, post-pandemic. Uh, I don't want to call it an explosion, but definitely a, a much, uh, much needed growth, I think, within the community. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, um, other than that, I've been telling the line about getting into Twilight Kin. I keep convincing myself that the amount of project work would not be overwhelming and that if I just sat on After Dark and actually painted uh, with everyone else that I could actually get it done. It's just a matter of uh, when those models are available to to look into that. But it's definitely on my list of potential hobby projects in the near future. So I've got some ideas. That's awesome. And sort of now that we've had a little bit of time post US Masters, as far as like the post mortem on the streaming, are you happy with how the streaming went? Did you learn any lessons from it for for next time? Or how do you feel sort of how looking back how the streaming uh, went for US Masters? Um, I mean, if oh man, we could dedicate a whole episode of advice I could give to people who want to do something similar. Um the shortcoming, the, the what I would say, the the short and sweet of U.S. Masters live stream this year was, uh, we had some mic issues, which I didn't realize at the time, but we were also running damage control on a whole bunch of different things. So unfortunately, uh, for whatever reason, the Discord mic was extremely loud, despite OBS reporting it at the same volume as the broadcasting mic. Those audio levels are out of sync. Um, I could potentially go in and fix that, but that would take a considerable amount of time to go through 16 hours of video footage and manually adjust the volume, basically, at intervals uh, to try and fix it. So it's not something I've planned for the immediate future, but something I can do. But obviously, trying to avoid that in the first place is always great. Uh, the other thing that I would advise anyone else looking to it in the future, and something that I've definitely come to the conclusion is we will not do three tables in the future. Uh, I think at the time it made sense to me, but now looking back at the San Antonio Masters, which was the other time we had three tables, um, no one got to see the air quotes I put up there. We didn't actually have three tables for a good chunk of San Antonio Masters, and I think I forgot that part um, because one or two of the cameras broke down at San Antonio. So we were only able to do two tables for most of it. Um, and in hindsight for this year's masters, I think that that is actually the, the sweet spot. I think two's the good place to be 
I think with three, it becomes a little too too much to keep up with. Um, and one is too slow. I think one is just you spend, there's a lot of dead air time. Uh, so you'd want to, I think you do one, but you'd want to have other things to talk about, like doing like a hobby update, you know, stuff like that. But I think two is the sweet spot. I, I might consider doing two different sets of two. So like two for best of the rest and two for masters. But I think to do that requires an entire additional crew, uh, which starts, I mean, scope expansion is a thing. It's definitely possible, but <laughs> I would not, I would not be solo running that. That would be, that would be a whole shtick. It was fun. Uh, I think in terms of numbers, we did better than we ever had before. We had twice as many people viewing from previous years. We had twice as many people uh, in the live chat as previous years. We doubled those numbers the day of. So we we have more views for the current Masters than the previous Masters recordings, uh, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so it's definitely, if nothing else, there there's... People are definitely tuning in to those events, I guess mm. is the best way to put it. They're definitely interested in watching and seeing the results of these these uh, competitive events. Yeah, it was super fun to uh, be a part of it. So thank you again for I love how you you open up uh, the opportunity for people from the community to come join the video chat. I think it's really inclusive. It was super fun. And those are good yeah. videos to, to go back and watch. Like if you want to put it in the background while you're doing hobby or painting or whatever, uh, there's some really great, I fell this U.S. Masters, there are some really great examples of how do I play an alpha army in the games where Marcella was in? Or how do I play a Trident Realms army? You know what I mean? There's a lot of really cool examples of play styles in the Masters stream from last year. So really worth watching. If you're looking to improve your game, some some really dynamic uh, uh, matchups, I think. Well, what about you, Kyle? I know your 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 hobby is now your work, right? So you know when you're done yeah. work, you're probably like, I want to go play video games or do something exactly. else. But uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, I mean, Baldur's Gate three just dropped, and uh, uh -huh. woo! I, I'm gonna try to. I, I'm downloading it actually this morning on my PlayStation five because I'm not, I, my PC is too outdated for. The good stuff so i'm gonna give it a shot on ps5 and uh see what to, what to do i don't know what uh class i'm gonna start with i'm i'm kind of back and forth on a couple of different things so we'll see uh but yeah it's uh, hobby time is 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 kind of rough when you think and talk about this stuff all day long but at the same time you know with the twilight can especially it's you know I, I i got to be way more involved in the actual design process of the minis than ever before and and so there's a there's an excitement there because obviously i was able to you know put influence on things so I, I feel a little bit more ownership of what i'm getting ready to work on and paint up and it, for them you know i've already started working on them i've got a little bit of uh you know early access obviously so clive stone was really nice he actually sent me a ton of 3d prints as soon as we were able to do it I'm not a big 3D print guy. I know um, there's a lot of people out there that are, but for me, it's just it, not the, the material that I want to work with. I, I like the hard plastic and what that gives you. So I'm really excited to get my hands on the actual hard plastics. But I am intending to take a, an army to Michigan GT, actually, and play with the Twilight Kin there. So it's actually going to be right before their launch in October. Um but I've got, you know, four weeks basically at this point to to get the army finished. And I've got a good, you know, six or seven more units to get through before that time. So it's a lot of hobby focus on that. 
and you know, I, I've, I just finished my impalers. Um, I finished, uh, some phantoms. So nice, you know, chaff options in the list. And I've actually been working with Adam Ballard because, you know, I, I don't get to play Kings of War nearly as much as I used to anymore. So Adam, uh, has been coaching me up. Je- Jesse was a huge, you know, help because we played games we talked about stuff we developed strategies together but i don't have somebody to do that with so i reached out to uh adam to see you know hey hey can you help me walk through this because i know adam is incredibly excited about twilight ken and you know is is really excited and feels like the direction that we've taken the army design wise model wise is, is a great direction for the future so obviously you feel that way too and that's why we're doing this cast um but it's it's a good time so you know i play twilight ken all through second edition so i'm really excited uh, to get them back on the table in third edition. I knew they were coming, you know, well in advance and, and I've been working on the models for that. I've also got, uh, we're going to do some promotional stuff with some bigger YouTube channels for the terrain crate three. So we did a whole series of terrain and ruins and all kinds of things. Um, mats and, and templates basically for stuff that was in, you know, as blunt as a way as I can put it really designed for 40 K you know, we can't exactly say that in an official sense, but other places can. So we're going to, you know, get up with like mini wargaming and we're sending them a bunch of terrain to just play with in their games and then name drop us. Hey, we get this terrain from, you know, Mantic Games. And so I'm being sent a number of pieces of those terrain to paint up and have sent over to them. Uh, I might actually go up there later in the year and, and film a battle report for Kings of War again, too. We did that a couple of years ago, and that video's got like 50,000 views, and a lot of people actually got into Kings of War because of it. So uh, those sort of promotions are big-time help. It is work, but, uh, you know, it's 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 beneficial in a lot of ways for the community at large. Yeah, I think the more you can get the company in front of eyeballs, right, Who, no matter which game those eyeballs are playing, it's probably still a net benefit, right? I, I think, uh, you know, Elliot the app guy the the companion who developed it he he worked with mini wargaming and he actually discovered mantic and kings of war because of the video that i did for third edition years ago at mini wargaming so uh it, it's it, it plugs people into it and those are a really big deal to kind of drive engagement and get people interested the comments on that video are outstanding too you know you'd think a channel like mini wargaming that's really heavily gw focused their audience would be more resistant to it, but they, there's a lot of positive feedback and people that just say, this is a really quick, clean game. This is impressive. And so, uh, it, you know, we did it demo style, kind of like explaining mechanics and movements as we were going through. It wasn't just, you know, sit down, play a game and do it that way. So, uh, that's helpful obviously to a new audience, but when you can capture that many people, you, you look at the various battle reports out there on YouTube that are Kings were dedicated channels and they don't get nearly the engagement that those bigger channels do. And, you know, we'd love to see that, but it just, you know, the, the audiences are already established. They've already got, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers, if not hundreds. And, you know, you, you want to try to capture what you can from just a wider net. Yeah, exactly. And Michigan GT, Lansing, Michigan, that's in Rob Rob Faneuf's hometown. If you go to Michigan GT, you may be able to stay with Rob at his mom's house. Uh, it's in Lansing, Michigan, uh, or October 6-8. You know, that's Blake Schrode, a really great guy. You know, there's a bunch of really cool Michigan guys in that, in that area. They have a really awesome prize for if you win. So the whole kind of, like, shtick of the Michigan GT is that it's like a, a gear car. Like, I think the Michigan GT, do you get like an extra chariot, special chariot, special character? 
Yeah, it's a it's supposed to be like a hot rodish kind of you know Mm -hmm. custom hero as a chariot. And the winner for the Michigan GT is you get an awesome patch for like a um like uh you know how like the biker guys have their vest that has their club patch on the back or whatever. You get like a Michigan GT patch if you win that event. So very cool, uh, a really good group of guys. So if you haven't, if you're in that area or you want to go, make sure you check that out. Uh, just MichiganGT.com. A really cool event has all the the info. But it's on my list of uh, ones that I want to get to eventually. But I hope you have a you have a great time going to that. Yeah, Blake's been trying to get me there for years, and it just never works up with my schedule. There's just various things going on, and uh, this year it, it worked out. He kept bugging me at Masters, and I was like, come on, come on. And I was just like, all right, well, if I can get you know my salamanders ready on time, and then found out we we would have the Twilight Kin kind of ready. And then at Gen Con, we talked to him. Ronnie and I went down and talked to him and Mike Carter, and we're just like, so could we do this as like a promotional thing, like where I bring them up and play as the Twilight Kin? Because it's going to be you know right before the models and, and rules drop, so let's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's do it and see if we can, you know, get in that way. Awesome. Yeah, dude, that's going to be that's going to be amazing. Lots of good good buzz, you know, people taking pictures, posting all that stuff. Yep. Um, and like you said, Blake's just such a good guy. To grow a tournament, you have to be like a salesman, right? To some extent. And he is the like every time you see him, he's like, "Oh, when am I going to get you out to Michigan GT, man? Come on, we'll, we'll make it. I'll come get you from the airport, whatever you you know." The total like uh, uh, how you get people to come to your events, you know what I mean? Just like a really good guy. Well, we have a lot going on on over here in the California. We have the Bay of Kings is coming up on September twenty three, twenty four. Uh, that's our one of our bigger tournaments. We sort of have two marquee events in the West California. We have the Bay of Kings, which takes place in September uh, in San Diego, beautiful San Diego. The Bay of Kings is held at a harbor. So it's a harbor convention center. So you're playing Kings of War while looking out to see- and seeing all the yachts docked. So it's very much like a California feeling. On the Saturday night, we go to a yacht club and Kyle Timberlake barbecues meat. He is our meat master. So him and Rashad do an amazing brisket barbecue at a at a yacht club. Britain's dad was a big uh, into sailing boat, and he was once the commodore of the yacht club. So it's like we we have all the access, and we throw a, a barbecue for everyone that Saturday night. So we're really excited to to get Bay of Kings. It's going to be the same place next year. So put it on your calendars, September. Uh, it's a great time to come to California. It's beautiful. Um, San Diego is gorgeous. I've set up an Airbnb uh, with some of the Pacific Northwest guys and myself. So, and again, if you ever need any help or traveling logistics, you want to come out to a California tournament, we'll be happy to help you. So we have Bay of Kings in September. And then in February, uh, we have the Riddle of Steel, which is a tournament held at Scott Holcomb's uh, house in Orange County. People have seen pictures from that. That's also a great time to come to California in February because it's still beautiful here. And uh, it, it, we're starting to get in the spring. Orange County in February is really nice compared to maybe February in uh, the Northeast. I'm looking at you, uh, Corey Reynolds and Mike Rossi and Greg and uh, all the unplugged guys. You guys got to come out, uh, John, uh, to uh, the riddle of steel it's a conan themed tournament super fun all the missions are sort of the basic scenario missions but added in with some conan flavor 
You also get free models supplied by the tournament of all the different characters. So there's certain scenarios where you can choose, okay, who do I want? You'll have an option. You either, uh, normally how we've done it in the past is you either get to, uh, you roll for first turn and you either get to choose first turn or you get to pick one of the two special characters allowed. And we had this running narrative that anytime I had a mission, I had this one tournament where I kept winning my first roll and I kept choosing to go first instead of pick the character. And in each of the missions I chose to go first instead of picking Conan, I lost because Conan killed me. <laughs> my opponent used Conan so perfectly and he destroyed me. So it was like, I can't now it's like anytime I have an opportunity to pick Conan, I have to pick it no matter if I want to go first or not, because that's the riddle of steel. I have to, I have to, uh, Crom, you know, but it's a super fun event. There's this one, uh, Conan has this one special rule where it's Crom uh, to hell with you. And every time you use it, you have to do Crom to hell with you. And then you use the special rule. Nice. Uh, our, our, his other special rules, I pray to you, Crom, which you also got Crom, I pray to you. And then uh, it's pretty fun event. But so we're getting ready for Babe Kings. Um, I just got back from Texas. I'd spent a couple weeks in Texas, so uh, hanging out with family and Jeff Swan and all and all those guys, all the Titans guys. So that was super fun. Got a little bit of Kings in. Got some. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is pretty fun. I'm excited. The Command Protocols book for Firefight is out. Yeah, so that's been really great. I've been seeing a lot of people get that book. Really, if you haven't listened to our episode, go back. Tyler, Kyle, and I, and Matt, we talk all uh, things of uh, giving some previews on that. Uh, we're going to be having some more firefight. Once that, the idea is once that book marinates for a little bit, we're going to come back and do sort of like a where do we think everything sort of falls uh, once once people have had a time to sort of build build with that book. Once it gets once the list gets updated to the companion. Uh, well, that's probably going to be our next firefight is sort of where are we, where are we at now that the protocols book has been out. Um, and at, and then after that, I'm just getting ready for twilight in baby. Uh, I've been working on the EOD, but sadly, uh, uh, they will, they, they will be being put to the side because like Kyle, uh, man, uh, give me a beautiful evil lady in my life. And that's my biggest weakness, you know? So I'm just like all ready for the twilight kin. I think I'm going to still do it. Um, my twilight kin before, uh, when I was using, uh, other models, uh, since Mantic really had none was sort of a Mediterranean, uh, Greek temple theme, which, still works if not even works even better with some of the sort of gifts and motif of the list so i'm going to keep that i'm going to keep that sort of theme so now it's just going to be going back to getting my bases ready you know get, getting every so i'm sort of in that you know when you're doing a new army project doing the initial planning so i'm going to try to get that done so once the models come out i am just bob's your uncle i'm ready to go so uh, yeah, I'd be uh, remiss to not mention the Shadow Horizons campaign that's happening in September this year. So uh, it's just a couple of weeks, but it's uh, the the cool thing is that I don't think a lot of people realize is that like we we sat down and had a chat and talked about the variety of different outcomes that are, that are going to take place. Like we legitimately plan to change not only you know the map but the whole world state of of king's war based on how things go and so there's there's it's like a pick your own adventure thing but it's going to be based on people's you know game submissions and we walk through like a bunch of different things about what's going to happen and 
the community and their games are going to change it. It, and and it, to me, that's just incredibly cool. Like coming as someone that was a gamer, you know, first and foremost, and then into the you know company behind the scenes, you kind of have this expectation that the company's just going to do what they're going to do. But like we've actually planned out multiple different scenarios of how things are going to change based on the campaign. So it's just cool. Yeah, very cool. Definitely check that out. Shadow Horizons. Mantic has a good page on their website where it's sort of like the Mantic staffs laying out who who they're going to be playing for the slow grow. But yeah, that's that's that is a really cool idea to to um, let your players feel like they have agency. And I would say that that's one of like Mantic's core philosophies is wanting their their players slash customers to feel like they have agency in the games that they play, whether or not that's through the RC and playtesting and listening to players or through events like this. Nice to feel like you're playing in a hobby, right, Kyle, where you feel like uh, your voice is heard. Yeah, I mean, that's it's incredibly important to us. It's Mantic's a much smaller company than people realize, I think, a lot of times. And because of that, it's just there's a lot of passionate people. We just want to make cool things. We want to make, you know, something that people feel like they're involved in and engaged in and be that scrappy underdog in the industry that's doing the things that customers like. And that's the direction that we're always given. That's what we always want to push and try to achieve. So when it comes to things like this, we'd gotten away from, you know, campaigns and sort of narrative stuff in the past. I I know Rob's dropped the narrative event that there's a whole bunch of us working on right now behind the scenes. And the story is, is actually pretty decent and it's getting better. And there's a lot of engagement and, you know, it can pull you in and it can draw new customers, new players of the game, all kinds of, you know, ways that you can kind of understand the direction that the model designs go, the rule designs go. When you have that harmony that can happen between it all, it, it makes a lot of sense. And we, I mean, we nailed that with Twilight Can, in my opinion. There's a, there was a lot of, you know, just fluff and background that got translated into rules and and Darcy did a fantastic job of putting it together. I've talked about it a little bit in the design, you know, vlogs that I've been doing, so I'm sure we'll dive more into it today, but it's it's it feels like we're taking the next step into, you know, that Mantic 2.0 that's been mentioned a couple of times. It, you know, things are coming together and feeling congealed and planned and executed in a way that just, you know, is is changing things in a, in a positive light. Yeah, let's rift on that. You mentioned it there, the Mantic 2.0. I know it's something that Ronnie's mentioned a few times, as you as you said. And like when you think about that, sort of give me. And we see it a little bit in the Northern Alliance update, in the um, Night Stalkers update. But I, I guess if you were going to take me into Ronnie's office through the back way, and we see Ronnie's secret, his vision board. When, when you're thinking about Mantic 2.0 in, in army design, model design, give me sort of the, the idea. Like, what is the, the, the core of that that you guys are trying to explore? You know, it's, it's understanding that miniature games are already, you know, a absolute small corner of the wider tabletop gaming market. And niche market of a niche market. Yeah, correct. <laughs> it, it's... You know, it's it's a tough place to to break through. There is a whale in the room with GW, and we are doing it because we're passionate people that want to be a part of it. We want to make fun stuff. I've mentioned that. What Mantic 2.0 is basically saying is that that early day Mantic stuff was was just 
you know, trying to trying to get things on our on, you know, started and in, in from a place that there's some kind of cheap alternative models and things like that. And and we want to come into our own and, and start to establish what we do and what we do well. And a core business of the hobby miniature wargaming, that's, you know, Kings of War, Firefight, Armada, those types of games that we develop and 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 push and grow is the core of what Mantic is. But then you also have these, you know, pretty potent, you know, IP projects that get involved that can expand our name and, and bring in funds that help re-inject into the core market. So what we do with Kings of War is probably the most important thing that Mantic does in any other space because it's it's that core, you know, hobby product that we're trying to put out. And part of what made Mantic 2.0 you know, what, what that change was, was understanding that the industry was changing. 3d printing was a thing. There's a lot of, you know, challenges that come with that technology is advancing. So things like the Mantic companion, being able to provide rules and updates in a quick and efficient way, spotting errors and changing them on the fly, bringing in someone like Elliot that can, that can, Literally, if somebody posts something on on a social media and says, hey, I don't think this is right, it can be changed within 10 minutes. So the the transition of what you make a book, you print rules in it, it's out of date immediately. Because if anything is wrong in that book or anything is, you know, incorrect or imbalanced, anything like that, it's it's your toast. Now we have this, you know, embracing of of technology with 3D printing, with the companion, that kind of thing. And then we're also leaning more into what we know makes Kings of War successful as a product. And a huge part of that is, you know, the availability to say to tons of gamers, Hey, come and check this out. We have some pretty cool aspects of it. And one of those is things like multi-basing. So, you know, we can develop more dynamic models that people will want to actually paint and play with, because obviously we want to make products that people want to buy first and foremost. And so you see that with things like the Frostclaw riders where, you know, we took something that was a, a, a unit that's normally three in a regiment, six in a horde. How do you make, you know, a flying raven with a cool dynamic pose that has, you know, wings arching out over the base and not make it look crazy crowded and that sort of thing. So we're going to try to embrace what makes Kings of War special. So things like multi-basing and, and, and you don't see that in other games, you know, so it, it develop that and, and push it into your models. And then also make it so that the story beats we're telling a story as we come up with products as we come up with new releases and that story drives both the design and gameplay mechanics you know going forward so it's all these things of of embracing what we finally figured out that we do well and then just pushing it and going forward with it to to try to engage new players and get new people into the games yeah i think the frost claw example you give is really interesting because it is when even from the 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 picture of them painted on the mantic website right has the regiment multi-based right with two which most people will for like uh you know large infantry or large whatever the one where you you know the regiment size where you need three most people are putting two on there and doing a multi-base anyway so it's kind of like what you said right leaning into one of the arguably thing most love from the model side of kings of war is the fact that you can multi-base and it allows us to produce hard plastic kits that 
you know, people, people want hard plastic. They don't want as much resin. They don't want the PVC and that kind of thing. And hard plastic is expensive, but really beneficial when you can get it right. And, and so I, I'm sure you've seen the variety that comes on those kits, how many extra pieces and components that you get as part of it. I've seen people do conversions already with the dwarf heads on the other bodies. And, you know, there, there's a lot of freedom that it gives you and the new relationship that we have with Archon to make the hard plastics really helps drive that in a different direction. And the Twilight Kin are a great example because so much of this army is hard plastic, I excluding a couple of heroes and, you know, a monster conversion piece like it's hard plastic. So it's <clears throat> such a good opportunity to to kind of advance the narrative on what we can do with Kings of War uh, without crowdfunding, you know, any of those things. And then designing the models to be done uh, in in multi-basing ways. There's there's one unit in the Twilight Kin that uh, actually combines two different hard plastic kits into one thing. And and because we have one existing and, and another new one, we can put them together into one box, just one frame at a time. And then boom, you've got a a unit that works. So there's cross compatibility. There's you know, we, Kings of War players love hobby, love kit bashing, love making you know artistic and and creative you know bases and, and units and we need to lean into that as a company. That's that's a huge part of what people like and want. So let's do that. And I remember back in the day, it's so it's so uh, awesome to see the company grow over time. Where in the back of the day, I remember Ronnie used to say, "Okay, I want to make sure our we want to have this goal where each army has like at least one hard plastic kit, you know, for all its basic right." Energy. Yeah. And now we're seeing that evolution, right, to one hard plastic kit to. Now we have an army coming out with multiple hard plastic and or just in general, we have armies now that have multiple hard plastic kits. And I think that's really exciting. It's 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 a great time. We're getting it, you know, right. The, the biggest thing for Kings of War is is recruitment. Something that we're we're working on getting ready to do was a an idea that was from first edition that worked out well and we're going to replicate it. And that's uh, we're going to start sending out these mini rule books to people in their orders. Um, we're going to send them out to bigger third-party retailers and, and distributors that can get stuff out in mass. And these rule books are designed not for you to keep, but for you to give to someone. So, you know, someone that you've been pestering to try King's War to check it out, you can literally hand them basically a little recruitment rule book that goes over the rules and it's free. You didn't pay for it. It's just, hey, check this game out. Like seriously, just flip through this and look at it because we know the game is the absolute strongest point of what, you know, makes Kings War great. So that's what we want to sell. You know, that's what we want to try to push and get people interested because if we can grow the Kings War base, we can double the Kings War base player base. You know what I mean? That That's, it, that's where Mantic goes from 2.0 to 3.0. You know, that's, we take the next step and, and, and we can start really diving into different things. The model of, you know, updating to, armies a year and then refreshing one faction uh completely like what we did with twilight kin is probably what we're going to stick to at least for this year next year and people that are interested in things and want to get in, in behind them they can kind of know that with that model they can look at what's coming and what's happening in the hard plastic and new models and, the, and obviously the rules are going to go along with it so it's it's a good time to be recruiting people to get into the game. And like we said, with the tournament signups, that kind of thing, like we're seeing growth. So if we can just keep getting more people, if you can get one other person into it and everybody out there gets one extra person into it, that's that makes a huge difference in what we can do for the game in general. And and that's that's the ask that we have is just just try to get somebody else into the game. 
And I'm curious, Matt, you know, one of the things that people love about Kings of War is the sort of philosophy of a minute to learn, lifetime to master, right? Where you're playing a game that is simple or elegant, right? Elegant, not simple. And that was always sort of the critique against Kings in the beginning. Is, is it's like, it's too easy, it's too simple, or there isn't depth. Uh, and I always felt that that, that is not the, tru not the truth. And it's a reason why you see at a lot of Kings events, you see the same players in the top 10 or top 20. It's because it is very much skill. But can you talk a little bit about the tension between adding fluff and flavor and depth while still maintaining that elegance and simplicity as you as mantics trying to you know add this narrative and story can you talk a little bit about what what rules design is like sort of in that sort of tension between those two yeah uh it's funny because i'm the only one when we're recording this i'm the only one with a cam up so i'm sure everyone that kyle and jeremy will get a kick out of my facial reactions to some of these questions it's it's a tricky balance so i it's it's something that we're we're well aware that players who have been playing the game for a long time, as well as one of the biggest appeals of Kings of War is its simplicity nature. So the ability to get into it and be able to play any army and look at any other army on one sheet of paper, you know, from a printout of the, the app or honestly any army builder, ideally, but primarily the app since that's Mantic's product. Uh, we want to be able to have people be able to read their sheet and know exactly how that army plays. We don't want to have a huge amount of unique rules that are basically like the, the idea of every unit has some unique rule that's only available to that unit. Um, one or two per faction, I think is fine. I think that's the, the long-term goal to try and boost some of that individuality and try to get back to kind of where second had it, but second, I think... Second edition, you had factions like Basile, right? So you had Iron Resolve was their quote-unquote special rule. But it wasn't actually their special rule. It was just a rule they had a lot of. And same thing for, like, Undead. Undead had Life Leech, but that wasn't their special rule. It was a rule they had a lot of. So trying to actually take that concept, taking armies and actually having them with one focused, like, this is their shtick. This is their goal this is their design philosophy and then running with that to preserve so northern alliance for example is a, a one that we have that's probably the the obviously we did night stalkers too night stalkers was early in the year i i'm gonna be upfront and honest about it i think night stalkers got the short end of the stick and that's not me being like mean about it it was we were fresh on our feet we were figuring out what we could do and what we could kind of design around and that's why their update is smaller overall. Uh, we touched up some key units and obviously gave new rules to the new stuff. So we had like, uh, we refreshed the terror, which obviously was not seeing play before that or very little play before that. We touched up on the shadow hounds, which we're not seeing as much play before and now we're seeing play. So these are our goals were mostly to make the models that we're not seeing play see play. Um, or the units that we're not seeing play, see play. And then with uh, Northern Alliance, we had a lot more time to develop it. You see the the interaction with Frozen and the new way that the list is kind of structured around that. And that's 
the general goal. We didn't really introduce, I mean, we introduced one kind of new-ish rule, which was the ability to apply Frozen via an aura. But everything else was just taking existing things and making them interact differently to get a more thematic result within a list. So now you've got Northern Alliance, which plays around with this Frozen mechanic, gives Vicious to some of your units that are fighting Frozen things. That makes it not super complex, but just a little bit more individualistic compared to just saying, hey, you get Vicious, right? So that was the general design ethos around that. And that's kind of our goal moving forward with, call it this Mantic 2.0 philosophy. Um, I don't want to say it's our, our collective goal, but basically the, the general goal that we have is trying to make factions more individualistic, but still respecting that, hey, we want it to be like, I can look at that Northern Alliance list, see this aura, and understand that that's supposed to interact in this fashion. Like these frozen units are going to get vicious against things that are frozen. Um, or these Northern Alliance units are going to get faces against things that are frozen. So it's one mechanic to figure out in play. And I imagine that that's like a you're a, a slider, right? Where on the full left of the slider, let's say you have no special rules, like super simple. And then on chess. the right, yeah, right. And then on, <laughs> chess, right? Exactly. Yeah. Chess is a perfect example, right? And then on the far right of the slider, you have every single unit. It's not just elite. It's they have sharpened blades or they have this or they have that. Right. So this unit gets to reroll specifically against heroes that are, you know, mounted yes. on things that uh, are dragons. Yeah. If your opponent forgot to use uh, deodorant this morning, you get right. extra two dice to your fireball, whatever. Um, right. And I imagine you have people who may be uh, on the fringes who want to exist in one of those two parallels. But I imagine for the greater health of the game, you guys are trying to find where's the Goldilocks part of that slider where it's just just right. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's always going to be a trick because I. Being being perfectly honest about it, it's going to be impossible to make everyone 100 percent happy. That's not our goal. I don't think that's possible because there's going to be some people who want the slider to be closer to that chess aspect, right? Like that's just true. Um, some people want the game to be like it was at the beginning of second edition. There's a group of people who want that. Um, there's some people who want the game to be more complex, right? They want to have more war machine hordes, more GW, more uh, over the top flavor, just like you're describing. Like there, there are definitely people at either side of that slider. And if we go down the middle, which is our goal, our goal is to be somewhere in the middle. People who are on that far you know, left side of the slider and people on the far right side of the slider are going to be upset that we're going down the middle instead of going further one direction, right? But I think for the better health of the game, and more importantly, because we you know, want to make it so that it's still appealing to both sides of that spectrum, that's why we're doing it this way. That's why we're trying to not go fully back to just very simplified rules, but also not going too far off the deep end of like, okay, every unit has its own special rule. Um, and I think specifically with Twilight Ken, also to a degree, Northern Alliance. Northern Alliance, I think, was a good preview of it, but Twilight Ken, I think we hit it out of the park with. Uh, you no, know, it really feels like this is a turning point. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit, Kyle. This to me, and in, in being involved in playtesting and playing Twilight Kin, seeing some of the models, this to me truly feels like a turning point, both in Mantic rule design and Mantic model design. Like there's going to be the armies before Twilight Kin, and and like, and we see that the the Northern Alliance was like the Amu's bouche, right? The appetizer of Mantic 2.0. 
you know, and now Twilight Kin is like, here's the main course coming. Sure. And I mean, they, they had a lot of focus it, when we looked at the various things. Matt can probably even mention that it, my focus this year, I, I didn't hardly pay any attention to what changes were coming in Clash of Kings because the focus for me was was the big three with Northern Alliance, Night Stalkers and Twilight Kin. And Twilight Kin had the most time, like Matt alluded to, you know, Night Stalkers were a very short turnaround from the RC coming in. Uh, you know, we had a, a new group come in and they didn't have that much time. They didn't understand what was going on. It had to get their feet under them very quickly. And by Northern Alliance, there were some really good things in place. But then Twilight Kin had more play testers. They were more brought in and then a lot more feedback and, and sort of iterations. We went through, what, 16 plus iterations of Twilight Kin in the time frame of, of designing them. And the organization that this team has had has been really nice. It's It's been great to see the sort of up and down, the flavor, the changes, things being too much, too little, all those tiny tweaks that you go through as you're going you know, across it. But yes, the the models, the rules, the lore, uh, we've got a campaign that is you know, kind of heralding their arrival. We've got models that were designed behind the story that was involved. I got to work with both Clint writing the actual fluff and then the design studio to do it and the rules committee. So we had touch points on everything that was happening. And that's, that's, that's good. That's the way that you want it to be. It's the way all, you know, hands talking to other hands and yeah, it's, it's a good place to kind of mark. This is the direction that we want to take when we do updates, make sure that people don't, don't get the wrong impression here. Just because we're talking hype on the, the Northern Alliance and Twilight Kin list does not mean that we we like shorted the clash book. The other factions are gonna get love too. Don't worry. It's yeah. this is a big clash book, guys. A very big clash book. Yeah, exactly. And maybe can um, speak to, to, to that a little bit, Matt. I'm curious. I think sometimes People in the community maybe who who haven't taken part in it or uh, are curious about how testing for these armies or books come. I mean, granted, you have to have when you're developing a, a new product or whatever, you need to have a group of people, you know, who are testing that. You know, testers have to sign NDAs, right? Which makes sense because Mantic, you know, needs to be able to control their IP and for all the all the business, right? Like we play this game that we love, but we have to remember it's still business, right? Uh, but this testing cycle felt really robust. It felt, you know, as you mentioned, things change, evolve. Uh, as one of the RC members and rules designers, how important are the play testers to you? And then what are you looking for when you're looking at uh, uh, reports from play testers during when you're designing an exciting new faction like this? Sure. Um, I, I mean, they're essential. Like, it's it's not even a question to me. I, I We would not be able to get stuff out in the way that it is balanced and the way that it is uh, as as good as we can without the dedication and support from the playtest team that we have. Uh, big shout out to Brenton Williams for organizing uh, the NDAs and getting everyone on boarded and into that group. Um, for those who don't know kind of the process or at least the, the very rough idea of the process, not necessarily down to the very specifics, but basically... Uh, Mantic gives the RC, hey, this is roughly when we need this done by. Like, these are new models we, we plan on making, and therefore we need rules for them. And then outside of that, we have the Clash book and whatever we want to do 
change wise that mantic doesn't direct us to like hey we need you know this model needs buffs to sell more of this model they don't do that it's very much just a loose hey a clash book is is due now or due at this time you've got eight plus months to work on it go and so with that um, we then look at the data we can pull which i think is more data than any previous rc has had access to thanks to things like the app things like more robust surveying just the community growing and therefore being more supportive in those elements. We have a lot more data we can pull to look at what things need to be addressed. And then from there, that kind of sets our prerogative. So for Clash, you know, let's say we got changes that we want to do for like Abyssal Doors and we'll set out those changes. The RC will discuss, deliberate and set out, you know, these are the things that were highlighted from the data. This is what we think needs to change. We get that kind of set up for playtesting, and then we pass it on to playtesters. And playtesters initially fill out a survey that's basically a gut check, so to make sure that the RC didn't do something dumb. And then that, from there, then goes into, we'll, we'll initially correct things if there's stuff that we missed. And then from there, we'll focus on things that maybe weren't like, oh, you screwed this up massively, but like there's kind of a mixed feeling on. Those are usually what we focus in on for testing. So to where we can be like, okay, this is playtesters weren't 100% that this was a problem or not a problem. So that means it's probably right on the fence. So we want people to test this and figure out, can it be broken? Is it a problem? If it's a problem, why is it a problem? So that we can then get that creative and constructive feedback that we need in the limited time we have to do it. So it's uh, playtesters have been fantastic about that for providing uh for uh rolling with us with the surveys the clash of kings survey was so large that it broke uh the google forms we we it was uh, required three separate forms to fill out and playtesters diligently filled out all three of them despite that uh, which i'm super grateful for we would not be able to get clash in the state that it is without that and then on top of that uh rolling with the punches as we get them uh the changes that we have to make uh, sometimes there's stuff that comes down, you know, this model has to be, uh, can't be made anymore for logistical reasons. So we got to change the list up because of that stuff like that. Yeah, no, playtesting is a huge part of what makes the game what it is because yeah. it allows us to get that feedback that's not just the RC. It removes that designer bias. And I really like the idea of uh, codifying and solidifying sort of two separate ideas of playtesting, right? Which is you can pull out some threads and some value from the idea of here's the rules. Does anything jump out at you? Like anecdotally, right? Does anything, yeah. what your, your litmus test, right? Does anything make you throw up in your mouth a little bit, right? But that by itself is, is, is not enough, right? You, you then need to take that and massage it and, and suss it and, and stretch it out through the actual games played, right? You need, you can't just have one or the other, both together sort of is what you're saying can, can help sort of be your guiding star as you're working through this process. Yep. Uh, I, I was actually going to say a, a perfect example and it doesn't even have to be something extreme like that. Like that's, that's obviously the, the extreme case scenario. I don't think we've had anything that the RC was massively off on to where the testers were like, you, you done screwed up here. <laughs> um, it was, it was, we had a couple things which brought up some, uh, I'll always call it passionate, you know, discussion about it. A good example of just kind of a, an in the middle one would be for Northern Alliance, one of the, the first versions we put out of the Frozen interaction was 
uh, around multi-charging. So you had a rule called IC runes. Yeah, IC runes, which still exists on the 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 Frostclaw or Frost Talon, Frostclaw, Frostclaw writers. Um, the, in my mind, they're forever cemented as uh, Raven Divers because that was the the alpha name. That rule initially was just how that that entire interaction works. So you had to charge with a unit that had icy talons to do a damage, which froze the unit, and then you had to have a unit that had vicious against frozen things also in that combat to get any benefit. In. And to me, as a designer, that made perfect sense. Like that was like this. This is super intuitive. It clearly works. Uh, everyone will get this at first glance, and then we put that to testers, and like none of the testers understood. <laughs> They're like, "What does this mean?" But yeah, I don't understand the purpose of this. So I was just like, and when you like, that's a that's an important feedback right there, because that means if I'm having to explain how this rule works, and these like we're talking, these are you know tournament level players, masters level players, and they're being confused about this. What are the chances that a new player is going to understand this? And so. We, we took it back to the drawing board. We immediately, you know, that we did like a full redesign on that almost immediately just because of playtest reactions to it. And again, that wasn't that wasn't them being negative. That wasn't like, you know, you done goofed. It was just the feedback was this is difficult to understand. Like this is difficult to at face value understand how this rule interacts. And that's really good feedback. That's a perfect example in my mind of what the playtesters do um, that they may not even realize that they did in that case. And I think what's also important is that, um, and maybe you can speak a little bit to this, right? Different areas have different metas, have different play styles, have different needs, different wants, different hopes and dreams that they want from out of the game. And I'd like that the play test group seems to be very diverse, uh, geographically diverse, right? Different, different players from different areas, you know, with the addition of, uh, Joe Everyman Felix onto the RC. I think there is a little bit of a, a lens around how does this affect your average, you know, your ba- your kitchen table gamer too. But how important is that for you as a rules designer to have a diverse uh, group, to have your playtest community not just all be from one group in one state, but to be spread throughout the really uh, internationally, right? Yeah, um, it's it's incredibly beneficial, I think, to get different regions' perspective. Uh, one of the things that I constantly harp on when people bring it up as to like, I don't understand why they just don't change it to this type of thing. Conversations online. Not everyone agrees with everyone on what is good or what is not. Um, That may come as a shocking revelation to some people. I know. And even when we do agree that something may not be good, uh, we don't always agree on how it should be fixed. And that is, that is true of the RC and that we discuss and deliberate and try to focus on, the best way to approach a problem just from an engineering standpoint, almost is how I describe that. And then you can see it in the playtest group where the playtesters, one of the most common things I see, and it's, it's uh, almost comical to me reading feedback and then watching discussions break out in the uh, playtest discussions where uh, one player would be like, I'm adamant that this is a problem. And I would never ever take this option of a unit type thing. And then the other 38, you know, responses or whatever, however many I have will say like, I would always take the other option and I would never take the option. This one play tester said, and then suddenly that play tester interacts with other ones is like, Oh, okay. I, you know, other people view this differently. It's like, that's, it's more common than I think people realize that. And it's not usually as diverse as that. It's usually like one or two people, you know, 
it sometimes it's split 50 50 and those are again the times where we're like hey zoom in on this test it figure out what's going on sometimes it's you know a little bit more swingy sometimes it's one specific option of a unit or various things like that Um, but everyone's got different opinions and they love to voice them and it's great to have those diverse opinions because sometimes that that even if it's not necessarily like oh this is broken thing even just getting eyes on from a different perspective sometimes you spot like you know hey this how does this rule interact with this you know design right and because of the meta brought in from that person's community, they spot that when no one else would have. And that's been immensely helpful in catching things that like, oh, whoops, you know, maybe, maybe we overlooked that and we need to double check things. We're only human. Not, I don't think it happened as often with Twilight Kin, which were fairly smooth on at least that side of things, but it absolutely happened during Clash, uh, where playtesters from different communities spotted different things that were like, oh, uh, this, you know, needs to be updated or this rule interacts with this oddly. We iterated based on that feedback. And like you said, you're trying to navigate that space of the Herculean task of pleasing as pleasing everyone while still trying to build consensus, right? Where you're still trying to build uh, among RC or playtesters a sense of we've, we're, we're, we feel like we're in that Goldilocks band on the slider, Right. But sometimes that journey is just as important as the destination, right? Because like you said, as you're trying to build the consensus or build sort of uh, this roadmap, people are coming up with ideas or maybe someone brings up an idea that you never even thought of or you start going down a path. But it's really you guys are are not just uh, creating these rules in in an ether with your six guns shooting into the air, uh, yelling Yahoo as you ride the missile into Prague or whatever. Right. This is a, this is a process where lots of voices, lots of thoughts, lots of, it is not something that's being done willy nilly. The, the, the average time it takes to get a list prepped up. I mean, just, just for perspective, Twilight has been in the, the, the cooking pot, so to speak since January. It's been a long roadmap to get to where we are today. So I, uh, if there's anything that we have to cut from the podcast, maybe that. But I, I hope that we can keep that because, yeah, we've been working on this for a while. So and it was in the RC cooking pot for at least six months um, before it ever made it to testing. So we 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 focus really heavily on what is the goal and design of a list internally first. And then playtesters get a hold of it. And one of the big distinctions that we talk about between playtesters and RC, because playtesters and the greater community as a whole always, you know, they always want to be like, hey, I've got this really cool idea. Implement this, like try this, blah, blah, blah. Everyone wants to to be in that design room uh, pushing the buttons. And that's one of those things where sometimes we have to clarify like, hey, this is this is what our job is. If we have... It's believe me, it's sometimes tricky enough with six people's hands on the steering wheel to keep the ship going in one direction. Even if it was just the play testers, it gets a little bit more tricky. And then then it would be open up to I don't want to think how many people play Kings, but it's a lot. We're we're we do open up for ideas. Um, and I plan to actually do that later in the year where we'll do a community survey of like, hey, you know, if you could pick some things that you'd like to see. If you'd like to wish list something into the game, what would it be? 
So that that's going to be a good time to be like, hey, this is what I'd like to see. And then we can collect that data and work with it. We'll still make the final call because sometimes, you know, maybe we don't need a unit that's speed 12 with 13, you know, 30 attacks that hit on twos with crushing four. I don't think that's probably good for the game, but someone may want that. You know, that's a thing. Yeah, I like you to see, you the see like the wish listing happening, you know, right now before the book's getting ready to come out when in yeah. reality, you know, that wish listing would apply to next year's amendments. Right. We yeah. we are we are well into the like, hey guys, if you want something for the potential, you know, the the next year's development cycle, this is the time to start talking about next year stuff that's coming out this year we're, we're probably past that yeah i mean books are at printers and that's i think that's why it's important for just the, the community at large to know just how much time and effort goes into these things and that there are production cycles that it's not just like oh let's do this and then tomorrow you do it right you have months of work and prep and you know, right i i do see it mentioned every once in a while and this is kind of that talk of that mantic 2.0 and we're moving on to this digital era where we have this app and this ability to edit rules on the fly we can, but, and there's a big caveat but to that. One, we don't want to do that like overnight type stuff because then we're not testing it. We're not seeing what could, the damages that could relate to like a thing being changed without any sort of investigation. We we want to make sure that rules are are checked and codified because one of the, the larger complaints I've seen in the past is that, oh, you guys didn't check for edits or the spellings mistaked or like, you didn't think of this one situation type stuff. And that happens when we don't take our time and investigate and make sure that what we're doing is actually good and works. So while we do have this cool new digital app, uh, we're still transitioning into a phase where we can regularly update rules, I think, to make sure that they're like, basically, I think what people, I think what people conceive is a constant FAQ cycle where like every day we could change a rule if we wanted to we're not there and I don't know that we'll ever be at that step. And I don't, I don't know if you should just because you can't yeah, do a thing exactly. doesn't mean you should do a thing. Right. Cause there are other people, this is similar. We were talking about that Goldilocks band of left and right. Right. So it's like, there are some people who would love it if we just overnight, just immediately fourth edition comes out theoretically, right. We could theoretically using that app, just release fourth edition and never release a book for it and just do it. But I think you'd have a whole lot of other people would be super upset by that because they're like, well, the rules are changing too quickly and we didn't even get a chance to adjust to like this new, you know, army that came out type stuff. And it's a balance, right? Most most of our job is just maintaining this this like no one can see me holding up my finger here, but like this little weight scale that's like tipping either direction ever so slightly and just delicately. Where's that that Thanos meme gif, you know, perfectly balanced as all things should be. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's why I sort of bring up that right. idea of the of the Goldilocks bandwidth, right? Which is trying yep. to live within that that area on the slider where you're trying to be, you know, do what is good for the because I think it's it's you can, I believe, look at what's in your best interest and also what's in the best interest of the group. You can do both those things at the same time, that they're not mutually exclusive. So you can try to find design elements in a way that will be good for you. But also, I think you do need to think about if everyone stops playing this game, you'll have no one to play your nasty whatever list against, you know, you know, because we, we talked about that, like, I don't owe my opponent anything. And I, you know, or when we've talked about the sports uh, debate, and this is a whole nother episode. So I'm only going to, I'm only going to go. Sure, turn left sure. here. I'm going to turn left here just for a minute. Um, <laughs> and then we'll turn back, back right. I think you do owe your opponent a good game 
in that for this hobby to exist, we need people playing it. So that's why I think when you're doing rules design, you need to be thinking about the subgroups of who plays your game, the competitive player, the, uh, the, the kitchen table player or whatever, uh, because in looking at all those subgroups, but also thinking about the whole, the whole community at large, yeah. I think that's how you, right. That's how you breathe life into, uh, into the overall community. Man, I, I wouldn't even call that a hard left turn. I'd, I'd say that's still, we're still basically on topic. I mean, yeah. effectively, that is part of our job. In, in addition to all of these, again, this, this massive different array of things we are attempting to keep balanced. One of the other things we look at is we're not only looking at the top tables in competitive play. We look at middle tables and bottom tables. It's important to know that just because something may not be stomping every, you know, masters event in different countries but it may be oppressive to new players it may be making it so that a new player plays one game and they're like well i don't want to play that game ever again but like yeah it's it's that's also part of our our job is to make sure that the game is not just competitively viable but also fun like at the end of the day no one wants to play a game that's not fun right um, and people get fun from different aspects. That's what makes this game so great. It's what makes the hobby so great, right? Like some people are like Hank Goose, Jordan Lawrence. I can list off like 10 different people in my freaking club and area. Jeremy Duvall um, are all freaking uh, amazing hobbyists uh, who make gorgeous armies that I could only ever dream of achieving that level of detail with. And uh, and that's what I imagine is part of your enjoyment from the hobby. And for me, it's that tactical, you know, interaction with gaming and the the various strategies you can implement and the various designs and uh, openness of list building and playing with those different lists. I had a perfect example at Bison where I played a mirror matchup against EOD and the uh, it was Richard I played against and his list could not be more different from the list I ran. I don't think either of us had a single unit. Uh, what? Or no, we had one. We both had enslaved guardians, but that was it. Everything else was different. Like he had mummies, he had uh, cursed high priests, he had foot pharaohs, he had um, like just a whole bunch of infantry stuff, and I had my fast unit. It's very different styles, and to me, that's 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 where the game state should be, to where everyone can enjoy it and play it the way they want to, and always have a chance because what your thing that really resonates with me is two things is um this hobby is really enriching in your life right for lots of different ways to lots of different people some people love the hobby aspect some people love the tactile tactical gaming some people love both a lot of people love all the friendships and relationships we make right through the through the through the hobby but I mean, that's why I love it. Miniature wargaming so much is just what it brings to your life. And um, and is that something, Kyle, you guys think about at Mantic when you're designing these games is you want them to be engaging and fun for all sort of these different populations we've talked about, right? Whether it's the tournament player or the kitchen table player or, or uh, you, you know, are you guys looking at sort of in your sort of product design, you want to uh, be meeting, you know, all these populations? It has to be. And, yeah. you know, for from Ronnie's perspective, I know that he has a real big focus right now on the relationship of, of getting, you know, the younger generations into miniature and tabletop games in general. That was a big thing with Dungeon Saga Origins and, and you know, even things like Worms, where 
you're you're trying to introduce everyone as as possible. We're all passionate people, but we we like to share the passion, you know. So whatever whatever you're into, that's the cool thing that you want to show people. And in in our design, we want to make sure that we get people involved uh, in as many ways and facets as possible. And the products are absolutely geared towards getting. Uh, someone new into it, whatever, you know, whatever way that you want to do that. But, you know, for, for kids and, and friends and that kind of thing, it's, it's just about growth. It's about sharing things that you love and, and meeting new people. Mantic really loves the fans and community. It's, it's such a driving factor in this so much of what we do and talk about. Uh, we, we have our finger on the pulse so much more than people might even realize. And it could have personal weights and stressors, you know, when you get, negative feedback. You put, you put a lot of uh, yourself into what you do. So when people just shit all over it, it's like, man, okay, well, uh, keep going. Um, you, the, the passion has to drive what's, what's happening. And, and because we're a small group of people that just want to do that, um, hopefully it shows, hopefully it shows that that's, that's the direction that we're trying to go. And uh, we're just trying to make people happy and play fun games and, and get to, have a big worldwide, you know, community of cool people that want to do this. And I think that's a big, you know, pride point for especially the King's War community. It's been that way for years. Uh, I've met people from all over the world that are just appreciative to play a game and hang out. And and we all kind of know each other. It's, it's a, it's a club that even as it grows, there are some community celebrities and people that are, you know, heavily involved in, in things like podcasts yourself, Jeremy, that, you know, you could probably walk into any Kings or tournament anywhere in the world and be recognized and celebrated and welcome. But you'd want that to happen to the absolute nobody too. And I, I see that, you know, I, I see that consistently where, where people are coming in and jumping into their first event and, and not being intimidated by competitive play and just saying, Hey, I want to be here because these are cool people that I want to hang out with. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a goal of our show is we want our audience to feel like like they're everyone's part of the same game club, right? Like if you listen to Countercharge, you are in the Countercharge club and come be a fly on the wall of our, you know, game night or whatever. So it's always so exciting and awesome to meet new people at tournaments or I just love doing the podcast. So I forget about it sometimes until like you're in an elevator and you're talking and someone's like, oh, are you Jeremy? Because they, they know my voice from the show. And it's like really, really strange, very weird. But um, in the end, I love this miniature, I love miniature gaming and I love the communities we make. And, you know, and it's just, I think in life, sometimes you become focused on expected outcomes or you get focused on destinations, right? Where I want to be somewhere or I want the game to be someplace or you want this to be that or the other thing. And in life, really, there is no destination. There's only one destination we're all working towards. And, it, and when we get there, who knows what happens after that destination, right? Some people believe you, you go this, you go someplace. But in the end, there's only one thing that we know for sure about life, right? We are all, we're all going to bite the bullet eventually. That's it. So in the meantime, let's, like enjoy, let's, let's enjoy the road, right? Let's learn from the mistakes we make. Let's try new things. I love the, the philosophy of Mantic of let's try something. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Sometimes it's one step back, four steps forward you know, are one step sideways, three steps forward, but we're growing and moving in the right direction up and to the right on the graph. Right. Yeah. That's the goal for sure. I mean, you're, you're trying to grow and continue. And and as long as we keep preaching the messages that we're doing with growth and happy and fun and games, like that's, that is the goal. Mantic is not trying to be, you know, world beater breakdown, 
records and take out GW or anything like that. We're, we're literally just people that like doing this stuff. Okay, well, awesome. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we will get to the new Twilight Kin. We will be right back. This is the Spymaster, Dojo's Everyman, Handsome Tom Annis, and you're listening to Countercharge. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zanshen Fan Ji. And we are back. Okay, now now we get to the section that everyone listened to an hour of our ramblings <laughs> as they, you know, feel free if you fast forwarded through the beginning of the episode. I, I'm still going to give you a hug when I see you at the next tournament, so don't worry. But um, uh, I just think it's good to get that. I really want, uh, I, one of my goals is to try when, I, when, when I'm really thankful and happy to get uh, you on the show or uh, Matt, I really love you. You've had a real big philosophy with the RC of trying to be, you know, help be more transparent. I think it's important for our community to hear this sort of stuff, right? How is the, to hear a little bit about like, how are the donuts made? You know, how, how, how is the sausage made a little bit just so that we can kind of have an under understanding of like, uh, you know, you know, where everyone's coming from. I think it's good for the community at large to know a little bit about how that stuff is done. First off, Kyle, can you take us through, as we start talking a little bit about the Twilight Kin, let's start first with the models. Maybe, can you take us through a little bit of like what your, what Mantic's vision for the models was through, maybe take us through the art process, how were the models designed, a little bit like aesthetically, can you take us through a little bit of sort of the genesis of the models for Twilight Kin? Yeah, I mean, it, it started very early, I think at the end of 22, where you know Dave Simmons was basically saying, "Here, here's my idea. If you don't know who Dave is, Dave is a member of the Mantic Studio. He's primarily in charge of you know sculpting and and development in that sense with the studio. Uh, Matt Gilbert's our director and the head of the studio. Dave came to me and, and basically said, "Here's the units that we think we would like to make for Twilight Kin, and this is." essentially in name only it's it's the kind of units that we're looking at um and this is before the rc touches it or anything like that it's purely throwing out what kind of vibe and feel do we want to go with and we got a lot of that from dungeon saga origins with the twilight cannon there they sort of took the more classic dark elf approach you know you saw there's literally neophytes which are from you know the earlier version in third edition there's uh the Glade stalkers that are in, in the Dungeon Saga Origins and that stuff. It, it was cool, but it wasn't um it wasn't uniquely mantic enough. And that's a part of you know one of the things that we we want to do is that we want to make things that are honored or inspired by classic tropes, but then take them into a unique direction. And there, there's a lot of reasons for that, but you know, primarily just because we're trying to develop a world that we want to last for many years to come. And in order to do that, you have to make your own thing. You can't just have a, a perfect, you know, ripoff. And that was, you know, one of those Mantic 1.0 kind of ideas is that it just things were kind of one-to-one equations. And so Dave brings a list. We go through it. We look at different things. We talk about, you know, do we want things like the Neophytes or the Glade Stalkers to be in the list? Do we want, you know, cavalry? Do we want these things? And, and we're looking at it initially from the standpoint of, uh, what models can be produced and and what's the what's the budget that we have to produce the army? We knew that night stalkers were going to be the sort of lore and, and background for it. So we had hard plastics that were coming from the night stalker rework that would go right in. And that was a great starting point. But at the same time, what unique things could we do? And we had the budget for four hard plastic frames. 
And on those frames, you can do, you know, a number of things. You can build multiple units out of one frame, just based on the the swappable weapons or parts or heads or different, you know, things like that. And then with a vault, you can even, you know, tweak things from there. So there's there's potential for uh, a lot of different unit types from just a handful of plastic frames. And you know, I remember early in the process we talked. We wanted a cavalry frame, but the cavalry frame was going to take uh, two frames. So that's tough, right? Like, how do you, you know, if you only have the budget for four, that's one unit that would take two of those four frames. And you think, okay, um, do we want to go that direction? And we think we do, uh, but maybe not initially at launch with the Twilight Ken. And and we know that we can do a lot with a hard plastic frame that could go into a lot of other places, especially if one of those two were kind of like a caddy hard plastic frame, then the second frame could be, you know, variety of riders, variety of bardings and, and different, you know, tweaks and heads that would change what it is. Like imagine a Northern Alliance cavalry option, but with like, you know, big reindeer antlered heads kind of things instead of just a horse but like other factions would need that. So we're working on an idea for that. We'll try to uh, push forward. Um, I would say stay tuned for about a year from now to see where we go with that. But uh, that was something that, you know, those are the decisions that you make with, with budget and framing and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's important to understand what you can do. It's, it's tough to make some of those hard decisions early on because then they end up leaking through the rest of the, the range and, and what you end up doing for it. So, you know, one of the hard plastic frames that we want to do ronnie hates infantry uh impalers were a larger infantry we knew that there was some lore that we could in- inspire there we had a great sculpt from dungeon saga origins that was a given we knew we had to do that the other one was you know we need some kind of basic infantry and that was going to have to be again another flavorful thing we wanted these guys to have sort of a nautical theme to them and that's where we came up with the corsairs and there was you know i haven't done their design video but there was probably more back and forth on this one unit than anything else that we did because we had, uh, you know, male and female options initially. And something that people don't really think about is there are very few hard plastic model kits that are both male and female. I think the dark Eldar witches are like one of the only examples where the bodies can be swapped between heads and arms for male and female. And, and those are real barriers to actually doing it. Mantic always wants to have male and female representation. And in that early starting process, we actually, we sculpted, concept art was done for both male and female. We didn't know which direction we were going to go. We tried to get both on, on the frame and it just didn't make sense to have a male and female uh, frame that could be, you know, swapped. The the males and, and how we want to go about it, the, the visuals, you know, there's a lot of talk of of their lack of armor and their their sort of you know sexuality. The males were the same way, I swear. They they were just as exposed and uh, bare chested. So we had this, this sort of design that was going through regardless, and um, that feel of beauty in the beast. You know, having having some you know gorgeous females that would be matched with sort of mutated nasty things. Uh, it 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 works. It's a tried trope. And it's one of those things that can call back to classic while we develop it in a more unique direction. And it, we ended up sticking with the, the females for the Corsairs that helped inspire the, 
the story and the lore behind it all. I've seen probably more comments on that, that people are concerned about it or don't like it or, or any of those things. But that's, you know, that's the direction that we went with. I, I, I think it's actually very cool. I've got a, a couple of female friends that play Kings of War. And one of the things they always say to me is that, and I'll say this as bluntly and honestly as possible, they think that the Mantic models are, are ugly. They're, they're ugly in the, not bad design sense, but like they are visually, they're just, they're not pretty for girls. I showed them some pictures of the female Corsairs and they were like, finally, you've done, you know, a a female model that looks like a female. And, and I I actually feel like that's representing me on, on the tabletop. So uh, they, they were incredibly impressed and, and want to get into it. Um, Yeah. I think the, um, the, the the idea of the the classic sexy evil elf trope right i think sometimes tropes are okay right because there there there's something that you read the iliad or odyssey there's still elements of that story which are awesome today and i think with representation what you want to think about is if the sexy naughty elf girl was the only thing you know it was the only model available or it was the only story element that's probably when you're starting to run into issues. But I think, like you said, in general, uh, Mantic, you know, you read Steps to Deliverance. You know, Mantic has a lot of strong female characters, both in their models. I mean, you look at Salamanders, you look at Trident Realms, you know, there's lots of like, uh, uh, I feel like good represent representation there. So, I mean, I know I'm biased because I like naughty, sexy elves, but I realize that, you know, it is something that we should think about. And I imagine that during the art process, making sure from Mantic, you guys do care about, uh, like you said, maybe speak a little bit to that. You want to make sure that there's representation. People can see themselves in the models that they create. Um, I mean, is that sort of a core, a core tenant? And when you guys are thinking about design? Absolutely. Um, you know, Noemi is our concept artist. She's Italian and and she worked through uh, several, you know, male and female designs and, and her stuff was actually like, like, whoa, borderline, you know, okay, we need to t- tone this back a bit because I mean, she really pushed the, you know, sexy and, and voluptuous in, in both the male and female designs. I and those. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was intense. And I mean, that was that was her coming to the table with him. We didn't tell her to do that at all. And in fact, one of the first things that we had talked about, or the first images that I had found were just uh, some female like buccaneer looking fantasy arts. And they all tend to have those sort of, you know, thigh high boots, or at least high strapped boots, uh, a skirt and you know, some kind of, uh, I don't know what they're called, but the, like a halter topish kind of thing with, you know, a, a hat and, and those kind of swords. And, and that ended up inspiring the look more than anything else. And, you know, it, it wasn't exactly, we, no one at Mantic said, make these things as sexy as possible and get their, get their tits <laughs> and just make it, you know, over the top. It, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It was literally just trying to find, um, a, a, a cool thing that was appealing visually that had great female form. You know, I remember we, we compared Luigi did a sculpt early that was taking kind of the base of the uh, Northern Alliance half elf berserkers and ice can hunters that we just did. And they still felt too human. And we had to completely, you know, he has a, he has a base sculpt of, of a human form, but that's not what elves are. So we had to literally make a new base form for both male and female elves that, that ended up taking quite a bit of time in the design process. So there, there was 
you know, elves have different proportions than humans. They have, you, you look at the head heights and different things like that, that uh, you pick up any basic, eight, you know, eighth grade art book. It, it shows you what hero head heights mean and, and elves are stretched, you know, and then some of the early stuff that we had was very stunted. So it, it was always inspired to be elf-like in form. We wanted those longer limbs and, and stretched torsos, that kind of thing slightly longer necks uh, and obviously the pointy ears. I mean, you, you, it's, it's an elf faction at the end of the day and you want some things to look like elves and everything else in the list is, is very, you know, heavily armored or mutated or, or carrying night stalker themes. Where are the actual elves? If we didn't have that, I think people would have been crying for that quite a bit. So uh, hitting with the Corsairs and, and, and the direction that we went with them, I still think, is the right thing. We've got some great looking female models. They look solid as elves. Um, we, we haven't even shown them off. It was just the artwork so far. Like people haven't even seen the actual models yet. So there's a lot to look forward to there. Yeah. I'm totally excited. I, I think, uh, and I love you've been doing these. Um, if you haven't checked them out yet, uh, Kyle has been doing sort of these design vignettes, I guess you'd say Kyle, right. Of showing a little bit of the concept art, talking a little bit about the, um, the units they're say i love short form video content i mentioned it on the show a, a, a bunch has that been like a conscious thing you guys are just wanting to get more of these into the these video spaces with these little sort of uh developer diaries yeah martin approached me and said you know let's do some blogs on this sort of thing and i was like no let's actually kick it up and do some videos i i remember some old Phil Kelly videos that I watched years ago, a decade ago or more um, at GW when he was doing certain design things. And I loved the insight that he gave into the process. And I thought, man, let's, let's do another one of those. And then ironically, uh, I put a couple of them out and then boom, there's a Phil Kelly video that I haven't seen in years that GW puts out like the same kind of style and, and look to it. And I, you know, I'm not saying there's coincidence there, but it's just like, man, that's exactly what I was thinking, but he did yeah. it after me. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was my idea. Well, we all know uh, uh, where the idea began. The true, the true uh, uh, divine pizza inspiration from heaven that you received. Correct. To do, to do, and oh gosh, I had this thing of just thinking the other day of like uh, thinking of Jesse and being like, "You go, you go, Twilight King girl, you rocket girl, rock those <laughs> boots." Of him giving the review of the new Twilight Kid Kid Army of uh, you know of just whatever hot topic Twilight Kid working. Uh, uh, I just I had a vision of Jesse. So much love to you, buddy. Miss you every day, Matt. I'm curious, Mantic. So. Uh, uh, take us through sort of the the, the early start of Twilight Kin. Is is that sort of how it began? Where Mantic kind of began to show you guys some of the models. This is what we want to do. Or here's a list of what we're sort of looking for. Can you take us through sort of the early steps of when you guys first started thinking about the Twilight Kin rules design? Maybe what was on what was sort of on your guys' goals or radar? It's been a it's been a long road. Looking back at uh, I've got the the sheet open here of all. Kyle was right, all 16 different versions of this list, effectively, uh, some more significant than others. But going all the way back to kind of the first one and just some some general things, uh, we, uh, again, how, how Mantic presents it to the RC is we're going to make these models. These are our rough design notes of what we might think those models could do which isn't like, hey, make this. It's, it's this is what the model is going to look like, roughly. Because this early on in the, in the process, they don't have STLs for us to look at. They don't have 
they they might, if we're lucky, have a piece of concept art for us to look at to get a general idea of what the model is going to be. Because ultimately, we want the rules to reflect what the model looks like to some degree. Maybe not a hundred percent. You know, everything is going to be because some people are going to you know be like, ah, oh, defense five, defense four. You know, maybe you know maybe this is represented in different ways, type of stuff. But like generally speaking, we want the rules that we're creating to reflect the models that Mantic are making. So this early on in the process, all we really have are not even, again, not concept art, concept notes. So stuff like, I think Ronnie said this on a podcast, so it's it's fair to say this one. Uh, for Impalers, you know, one of the units that's been talked about the most, the, the note we got was Marilyn Manson looking slash Slenderman. And I had no clue what he meant. <laughs> I am not familiar with Slenderman other than the the fine eight note pages in a forest video game that was terrifying uh, at a younger age. So I was like, does he mean like that? Because that's a not what I expected at all. And I had only vague understanding of Marilyn Manson. Like I understood the 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 look, but not necessarily what that meant for rules. Uh, so I had a lot of clarifying questions for Kyle. I think especially early on in the process, I think I I pinged Kyle like maybe a hundred different times about like, hey, tell me more about what this looks like or is supposed to look like, what it potentially... I think skiffs were one of the ones I, I pinged the most on because the the idea that it was going to be these dudes riding boats, um, there's a lot of different ways that a boat could be, right? Like, is it like a little itty-bitty boat? Like, is it a one person like riding like a jet board type of boat? Is it like, you know, this big battleship thing that's like bigger than something that's ever been done before type of deal? So trying to get clarification on like what the size and dimensions of that model were. And and if we're talking about some of the things that changed the most from their earliest conceptions, so the Mantic design notes um, versus what they ended up being in the game, uh, the Void Skiffs changed, I think, the most out of everything. Um, they are not at all what the original uh, description of the Mantic design notes were. Uh, They're almost the opposite of what that was. Which isn't to say that they're like that's not a bad thing. That's just how the process evolved over time. What the list needed, um, I know Kyle mentioned, you know, that there was a potential chance for them to get a cab sprue early on, and that was reflected in some of the earlier designs of the list. Um, we actually had a couple concepts for what that unit might be rule wise. It didn't last very long, I don't think. Yeah, these yeah, are the void runners, right? Yep, they yeah, lasted we're gonna do... literally one page. <laughs> uh, so version 0.01 had had that unit, or actually a bunch of different versions of that unit, because we obviously we're still in the pitching earliest phases of like what could that unit be. So there's a couple different versions that were listed, but then as Mantic came to the conclusion, hey, they wanted to go this other direction with what plastics they were going to put out, that unit gets cut, we move on to a different version. Compared to doing things like Northern Alliance... Writing a new list is is definitely just a little bit of insight, just personal insight. The workload for a new list versus just updating an existing list is massive. Like holy hell, it is. Northern Alliance was was a cakewalk in comparison because all the stats are written out for you. All you have to do is tweak them and balance them. And even and that's in something joking, we should we should re. I mean, it's been said a bunch of times, but this is a completely new list. Right, right. From from it's back to formula. You know, it is not just like a tweak. And new, this is com something completely new, right? Right. So the there are things that you might be able to use those old 
units that you made up for the previous list as in this. So it's not like, oh my God, you're, you're, every model that you've ever collected is, is useless now type of thing. But in terms of the list itself, which is what, what I focus on, Mant Mantic's job is models, my focus is rules. The list itself is from the ground up a brand new list. There are a couple of carryover concepts, I think, but that like when I say that, I mean like it has Night Stalkers in it, right? Like that's a that's a concept that carried over from the previous list design. But beyond that, that's about it. Like everything else has been reworked from the ground up. From some of the just... some of the special heroes might be familiar, right? Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. We've got some returning named characters to yeah. boost Mantic's uh, IP, which I'm always in support of. I think Mantic getting more IP and more love for their their unique characters or special characters is definitely something that I like. But beyond that, I mean, even those, I would argue, have been mostly re-envisioned to meet the needs of this list. So, like, it's it's... One of the nice benefits of starting fresh, like I'll, I'll speak to that, is despite it being a lot more work to have to go through and individually craft these from the ground up, um, is we can do that without any overlap. Um, this is a concept that I talk more about in design than I do online because it's it's not something that comes up in casual conversation in, in fanatics posts, but... One of the things we see in some of the better design lists, in my opinion, is a lack of overlap. So things like Ratkin. Ratkin are an exceptionally well-designed list. Um, they have less unit types than a lot of other lists. They're actually at the lower end. But the benefit is that all those unit types have a place. There's very few units that aren't seeing play right now because all of them are viable. They all do something distinct and unique. So they all have a spot. And that's that's good list design in my mind is when a list has its internal balance encourages you to take different styles of armies eod is a good example yeah and a, you, you don't have to answer that question why would i take x when i could take a exactly it fits the role it competes with that and it's way better so x never gets taken right because exactly. people always take a no right so so undead is one of the lists that i would argue not necessarily poorly designed, but it has a lot of that problem where you've got zombies, skeletons, revenants, soul reavers, mummies, uh, uh, not phantoms, uh, wraiths, all competing in this infantry spot, right? Like the same, like similar or the same role in some cases. Some have slightly tweaked roles. Like I'd argue soul reavers are like a hammer um, versus mummies, revenants. Skeletons and zombies could all be argued as anvil units. Ghouls too, right? Yeah, and ghouls. Like you have a huge selection there of this is a similar unit type and the only difference is minor stat tweaks. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just there's a lot of overlap there. So most players are going to pick the one they like the most and they're going to ignore the other stuff. They're never going to play it. So the benefit with Twilight Ken from the ground up is that every unit has a place. It's not a case of like, oh, I might pick skeletons or I might pick zombies. It's do I want an infantry unit that is going to be an anvil? And you have an option, not multiple options. You have one option that you can customize a little bit, get some, some variation on it. But you generally have this is your option for your anvil type unit. And then you've got, you know, your your heavier unit or your finesse unit or your your 
Titan monster units. Like you have these different categories that we all see across the game, right? You know, you got your large infantry type, your blender, things. Or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they have a lot of distinct, what I would call unit types that don't overlap and therefore don't compete. And because they don't compete, that actually makes the list a lot easier to build with. You're not looking for these hyper optimizations. It's more about what style do you want to play? And that, I think, like I said, this really sets the list apart as this is the semantic 2.0 type conception or like this is this idea that, and and we've talked about this off the podcast, but all three of us, I think, have looked at this list and built different armies with it. Yes. I mean, all three of us are 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 not to not to be a ha ha but all three of us have experience right playing in tournaments playing against high level competition and i think all three of us went to what are good armies that are going to use cool models but what are good armies we want to play and they were all three completely different lists like you said so that really speaks to this idea of having a list internal balance be set up so that you can collect one army and know that that army can do different things. That makes you feel really good to collect an army and know that I can play this army in different ways. So that means I can collect more cool models as opposed to, I have to just have this one unit or this or that, or otherwise I'll get smoked. You know what I mean? So I definitely right. like that. For I remember talking to Matt early in the process and, and, and the RC in general and saying, you know, we, I, we, what we'd like to see is that there was at least multiple different flavored builds that you could pull out of this. So there, there would be a theme. If you wanted to go Cronebound and have more of the Night Stalker influence, you could do that. If you want to go more with the Corsairs, you could do that. If you want to go with like the Void Touch, the more mutant side of things, you could do that. And, you know, having having options there on actual build style and quality was was a direction from the start. And I, th I think they nailed it, to be honest. So the first unit we're going to take a look at, and it's one that, you know, we've seen sort of the DNA of it from the model side, from the Dungeon Saga Origins, and Kyle's done a developer diary on the Impalers. But what I'm really curious to think about as, as we take a look at how the, what actually the Impalers ended up, right, in what we're going to see I love looking at this sort of evolution. So let's let's start with the Impalers. What was sort of, Matt, the original sort of idea of what the Impalers would be? And let's maybe follow their sort of like evolution a little bit. Yeah, I'm just looking back at some of these ones and I'm like, damn, uh, they they didn't they didn't change a lot, but they did change enough to be like, yeah, they they did shift over time. Cause looking at the the original one. Uh, we had the the random attack stat. We had uh, crushing strength three, which I don't think we'd seen for a hot minute. And were they always um, going to be large infantry? Was that like from the very beginning? Were they a switch to large infantry? Yeah. One. So one of the things we don't have full control over, I guess, is the best way to frame this, is base sizing. So ultimately, we're a little beholden to the Mantic models when it comes to that. So it's like if. Mantic's like, they're going to come on large infantry bases. Like, cool, that's what they are. And then it's up to us to design the rules around that. Um, I think there was discussion as to whether or not they would be monstrous infantry for a hot minute. But at least from the early concepts, it was this is going to be a large infantry style unit. So, And was that just model design wise, Kyle? You guys just wanted to make bigger, robust models. Uh, what was sort of the idea of moving the Impaler as sort of a large infantry choice? Yeah, that was a that was a big thing from Ronnie. I think that we had we had come off the ogres and we saw 
how good the hard plastics were from the new facility and just, you know, the potential there. And we, we knew we wanted some kind of large infantry in the list. Uh, when you're going to have standard infantry, you, you need something else in hard plastic to do that. And what was the model that made the most sense for it? And the impalers were really the thing that would kind of scale up. Uh, we knew that we would be giving them giant honking shields and heavy armor. So that was, you know, pretty much one of the first directions to the RC was just, uh, they're going to have big shields guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those, those shields <laughs> are the definition of a big, a big shield. shield. Yeah. yeah. So that one, that one's pretty easy. I, I will say, and this is mostly keeping us within the scope of what we'll talk about on this podcast, but uh, some of it's it's important to remember that again we're looking at the list as a whole. So some of these early concepts for this unit, if I remember correctly, we're trying to make it the the line breaker, so to speak. So that's why I see crushing three here. Yeah, and there was the competition, obviously, between potentially having butchers in the list, and like you right. said, you didn't want overlap. So that's that's where there was there had to be thought on how to differentiate the two. Right. What what makes these different from butchers or from other potential slower speed hammers in the list coming from both Night Stalkers and from other units within the list uh, was definitely a trick to make sure that they had their place. And they definitely evolved from that. We we had a brief period where we talked about doing a token based mechanic, which was Definitely, at least from a design standpoint, it was a cool conceptual idea, I think, was this idea that basically units would have these tokens and then you would spend those tokens to do things like uh, I think that version had like forced rerolls for perspective. So you can make your opponent reroll stuff against you. But then that was a little bit too much uh, micromanagement, I think. Too busy, is how it, too busy, busy, keeping track yeah, of all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's always a balance, right? Because the more you add in these auras or these interactions or stuff like that, um, you're creating, what's, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, you're creating effectively management for the game. You're creating time that has to be spent, okay, because of this, th- these things are happening now. And that's it. It When it's only like one thing, right? When you're only thinking about it one thing at a time, it's not the biggest issue. Because like Elite's a perfect example. Like Elite, I got to re-roll these dice, right? I got to re-roll once. And when it's just that, not that big of an issue, right? You just got to see the ones, you pick them out, you re-roll them. You had Vicious to that unit too. Now you got to re-roll the ones and you got to re-roll the Vicious ones. So now you got two things you got to keep track of. And then you're like, okay, well, now I want to throw a rule that says, like, every time they roll a six, they also, like, get double attacks or something like that. That's not, you know, the, the I was going to say it's not a thing, but, like, theoretically, if the Rift Forge characters had that, right? Um, so now you got to keep track of ones, sixes, and other ones. And it's like, the more you do this, the more uh, mental tax you're creating for players. So you want to be cautious of that. Um, we're definitely aware of that. So we we rolled that initial idea. Uh, into uh, going down a few more sections, uh, we rolled that into what we called Void Charge, which originally was going to be this concept of like, you could re-roll Void Charge X dice, or N, because Kings uses N. Uh, You could re-roll N number of dice based on whatever your Void Charge was. And from a design perspective, this was a great roll, initially. Oh, uh, We'll get to the part where we rolled that back. But but initially, from a from a straight up, I am a designer and I need to be able to control the math of the game in little minute ways. Void Charge was actually super useful because it meant you could do things like, ah, I wanted to hit a little like this unit because it didn't multiply on flanks. 
which Elite does effectively. Um, you could do things like, I want the Void Charge to be a little higher and the attacks to be a little lower. And this effectively tweaked how hard a unit hit in the front or a flank. And that actually created some really uh, easy ways to tweak the stats of units in little itty-bitty ways. But this is another one of those, this is why we have playtesters and this is why they're super helpful and why they're extremely important to the game. One of the things that we noticed when watching playtesters was, one, they were constantly having to check the void charge number on their units every time. And I'm sure over time that would probably go away, but it was always a case of like, elite is super easy. It's just reroll ones. Vicious is super easy. It's just reroll ones. They're very easy to conceptualize. They don't change. But void charge, because it was a variable number, players were having to check the stats on their units constantly. And it was adding, again, we're talking about that management. It was adding management to playing the game. So while it was great from a design perspective, it wasn't great for player interaction. And ultimately, one of the bigger bits of feedback we got is that, and just from a straight up looking at it, is it wasn't distinct enough from Elite to really justify making a whole new rule for it. Adding that so, layer of something new, like what, what what is the value of it? Maybe the value right. wasn't worth enough to add in the extra rule, basically. Exactly. It's it's a case of this is where we're looking again at that that Goldilocks slider. balance bar, yeah. that mm-hmm. slider. Yeah. Is adding this rule going to add something to the game that's significant enough to make something unique, quote unquote, versus let's just have these units be elite? And in the long run, after you know testing and testing and thinking about it and talking about it and putting it out there, we changed course actually fairly late in the game as far as the design went. That was one of the last couple versions that we we reversed void charged and effectively created just went back to just normal elite for a good deal of these units which one should satisfy elf players wanting to make sure that elves are consistently elite everywhere in the game Um, but also you know removes the need to add another special rule in the game because we're like i said we're aware of that we're not trying to do that we can we did legacy do it for one unit so there's one unit that because of how it it specifically relied on void charge to get a specific extra bit of boost that one unit effectively integrated it into its its own special mechanic so how they uh so how they ended up the impalers you can get them in a regiment or a horde mm-hmm. speed five wild charge d3 so that's interesting right so slightly lower speed but they they come with wild charge um that 918 attacks, what you would expect from a large infantry regiment, hitting on threes, big shield, crushing strength one, elite. But what I think is really interesting, in the regiment, dash 14, and in the horde, dash 17. So I love that big shield, fearless. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, they, they've got some vulnerabilities to flanks. Um, the defense four means that you do have to keep your flanks covered, keep them in the center more than the flanks. Like they, they're not covering flanks. They're your center line to hold the center. Um, and you have other things to make sure that you're not getting flanked. Ideally uh, the attacks being flat numbers originally, I know we, I, I yeah, touched on it earlier. Too. Yeah. They originally were randomized and that was another one of those cases of like, get wild charge, saw, void to, or, uh, the the tokens for their random attacks yep and uh, random random rerolls and random attacks like it was just too much 
Yep. It was it was taxing on players. So we, we pulled that back to just random or not random. Sorry. We pulled the random attacks back to just the flat profile of 918 for large infantry because originally, yeah, you were you were having to roll red wild charge at the beginning of the turn. Then you were having to roll the random attacks. Then you were rolling void touched uh, potentially other things on top of that. Uh, they had ways to get uh, vicious through other units in the list. So it was it was a lot. It was a lot of rerolling for one unit. So we we toned it back there. We toned back uh, a little bit of the speed. Um, but yeah, they they ended up, I think, in a good spot as a midline unit that uh, trades a bit of speed for the defense that the rest of the list does not really have. They're the they're the hardiest unit in the list thanks to those big shields yeah i've been playing in my playtest games i've been playing a bunch of i've been running double hordes in my as my center right alongside with uh uh their special friend that we'll talk about here in a second but they've they've worked really well for me as just a nice sort of like in lieu of like a horde of infantry in the middle they're my like put my two hordes of impalers in front of the dominate circle or the center of the line. And they just, they just slowly, but surely march up the board. Um, and then, you know, at speed five wild charge D three, there's a chance they can outcharge speed six infantry or they don't, but you have that big shield to sort of help, help uh, soften the fact that maybe they're going to get charged first, you know, based on you, you never know with that wild charge D three range, but that's how I like playing them is I just kind of put them in the center center of my line. Yeah, uh, for sure. The regiments, like you were saying, you know, with that dash 14, they, they are potentially the thickest of thicks. Oh, yeah, the thick boys. Th- yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They compete up there with those those bound butcher regiments for mm-hmm. you, you get you pay you pay a little bit more price than the butchers, but you get that defense six in the front versus the defense four in the flanks. And we all know how and, frustrating it is when you, your chaff is wavered from shooting, or at least the the butcher's rights to have fury, so you're not worried about yeah, uh, uh, and stealthy, and, you know, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So there there are again, there's choices on why you would want to take one or the other, but here's another option. The models for these are just like you've seen the 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 vibe from Dungeon Saga Origins. Uh, it's just a, a really awesome unit. You can do a lot with it. And um, yeah, just like a really great choice for sort of, and it unlocks too, right? So it's like a good unlocking. I think Twilight Kin has a lot of things that you're going to want to spend your unlocks on. We'll talk about one here in a second. But in general, that's one thing you're going to have to uh, keep an eye out for in the list, I think, is where are you getting your unlocks? Make, yep. Making sure you get enough. That was actually a, a concern that was brought to me by a couple different playtesters was they felt that they weren't able to get everything in the list. Um, and I think my general response to it, um, which is not to say that that feedback was not taken on board. It was definitely looked at and definitely considered. But 100%, this is, a, this is still a leaning towards elite list. It is still elves at the end of the day. Um, and while there's so many cool new toys in it to play with, you're just not going to be able to take all of them. So you're going to have to pick and choose like, hey, do I want, you know, to take taking a little bit of every unit? You you can do it. But I almost think that what we're going to see is people kind of zeroing in on like, I really like this style. Of it's like they like the impalers. So they're going to build like a slower, more defensive st- style. Yeah, exactly. Style. Yeah. Versus like 
you've got the skiffs, which I won't go over their stats, but they're a faster unit and have yeah. like some more maneuverability. So you can build a finesse list around those. Um, you've got, you know, the Corsairs and their different variants, because there's a couple different options there, as well as the uh, various support pieces around them. Uh, we worked really hard to try and make sure that the Corsair builds would function. And I think we got there in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, we know that infantry is struggling overall in the game just to find its place in these gun line slash heavy large infantry slash fast uh, alpha strike lists. So this is kind of looking forward to how infantry might solve that problem in the long run in uh, the things that we've tried to add to it. And I think it can be good uh, when you're collecting an army, right? If you have multiple playstyles in that army, it means that you can get different play experiences without having to start a whole brand new army. Like yeah. it's one thing to say, like my Basalia, that's my speed army. Okay, now now I want to play a more defensive infantry or this kind of list. Okay, I have to start completely over with a different army. Whereas it feels like you said it's it'd be very difficult to make a Twilight Kitten list to fit everything that you want. So it is going to be, I think, like you said, people are going to be sort of finding what is their take on Twilight Kin and then being able to buy more models, expand their collection out and being able to play multiple like, oh, this tournament, I feel like taking a defensive army. OK, I can take my Twilight Kin. This tournament, yeah. I want to take a, a, a magic shooty army. OK, I'll take my Twilight Kin. I'll just take like different, you know, take right. different choices. And, and, and to be clear. Because I've seen this comic kind of float around a couple times where people are worried that like lists won't have weaknesses, right? Um, or they won't have distinct styles. And that is definitely a challenge with 28 currently functioning different lists in the game. 29 if you count the Jarvis Undead list, which I won't, but there's 20, 28 functioning different lists. And we're talking all this hype about Twilight King can play these different styles. Our goal is to have it so if you play Twilight Kin Infantry, that should play differently than how Rakan Infantry should play, or how Orc Infantry should play, or how Bas uh, Bas uh, Basilean Infantry should play. Now I'm doubting Basalia, myself. Basalia's pronunciation. Yeah. Basalia, trademark. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> um, how their infantry play. We, we still want to have that unique design, and that's that's where the, the limited... Again, limited sprinkling of special rules or aura interactions or stuff like that. That's, you know, Northern Alliance versus Twilight Kin. You can play a Northern Alliance infantry list now. I think that's a viable strategy, and I've seen people do it. So, but how you play that style of Northern Alliance infantry is going to be radically different from how you play the Twilight Kin style of infantry. Maybe not radically, but different. So not not too far to the right. Again, we're trying to keep it simple enough for for yeah. that way new players can get into the game and old players are not like, I don't know how to play against this army because it's got so many different things, but different enough. Like the way you play Northern Alliance with the Frozen interaction is going to be different from how you play Twilight Kin with uh, their units and their interactions. Yeah. I mean, even playing the defensive version of the new Twilight Kin, there's still elves. Your stuff still dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you're you by the end of the game you're a lot of your stuff is still dead because in the end they're elves so they die you know it, so it's very much a glass cannon list yeah so um but at the same time if you want to load up on impalers and terrors like yeah, I, yeah. Ugh. 
Yeah, you yeah. you can. I was going to say, if if you want to go the the other route, yeah, you you do have access to the terror. You do have access to impalers. You do have access to to weakness in the list, uh, uh-huh. and you can make a a fairly tanky list if you want to. That is an option. Impalers, they do have some keywords. They have impaler, but more importantly, they have a twilight elf in void touch, which. Keywords don't mean anything, right, guys? They do uh, when we talk about this sort of next guy. So we're we're going to talk about a hero called the Navigator. Matt, why don't you sort of take us through sort of the genesis of this uh, completely new unit type? So this guy uh, changed a lot. Well, how how do I put this? The the Mantic side of things changed from what I think the original conceptual vision of what I think it was supposed to look like in my mind or what I envisioned it as. And I can only, I can only speak for myself. So other RC members may have had different thoughts on what it was supposed to theoretically look like. If we go back to the the 0.01 version of this list, it's blank for that, for that unit, because (laughs) I had no clue what to do with it. Initially. Um, I was like, I have a general gist from the Mantic description of like, it calls winds from the void. I'm like, okay, cool. So it's like a caster-esque thing, but it's not actually a caster. It's like an aura thing. I'm like, okay, so we've got that much, but what is that going to look like on the table? And I think, when when did I even get the, the first version? Here we go. So the, the first version was actually version two, which it was Navigator. And my visual perception of it was Captain Jack Sparrow holding like the magic compass and like literally navigating a ship with the magic compass. And like, there was like magic flowing from the compass to create these auras. And that was what I thought the model was going to look like. So like, and the rules reflect that, like he had, uh, they had a repeating crossbow. They were, they were just normal elf stats for the most part. The big thing. And this persisted pretty much through every version in some way, shape or form. It just kind of, altered what these were was uh they have a rule called legacy of oscan which is a nod to the lore of night stalkers and twilight kin as a whole i'd have to go back and dig through to remember the exact specifics of it but basically uh oscan if i recall was the evil one who tricked with the the new thank you yes with the mirror and that's what created the scream shards in the previous twilight kin list um so this is a literally a nod to the legacy of Oscan and its uh, reflectiveness on the list being a Night Stalker slash Twilight Kin list. But they are able to pick pick an aura that will affect one keyword within the list. Um, those keywords being, as you said, uh, Twilight Elf, Cronebound, uh, and Void Touched are the three keywords that were settled on. And this is something that I think going forward with lists in the future is a way to really take advantage of the keywords. And without having to introduce new rules to the game, we can actually change how units interact with each other by using those keywords. So we're not having to have like, oh, we have to create a whole new rule just to make this unit interesting. We can create a, an aura that interacts with specific keywords or you know, a mechanic that interacts with specific keywords. So that way it's still using the rules we already have in the game that are already built into the game but making those lists more unique. And the Navigator, I think, nails that in that it's a unit that slides into pretty much any type of list you want to run, however you want to run it. I hesitate to call it a must-take unit because I still think you can get away without one. Um, It's just definitely beneficial to take one. One of the earliest concepts that I think 
I asked Kyle if it was going to be possible was, can we put these guys on the boats? Um, so the, the skiff model originally was just supposed to be like a monster, I think. And there was no concept of like a unit, no concept of like a character. It was just, this is going to be a, a, a monster boat. Um, and so I was like, but can we make it also a character boat? So uh, we had some things evolve from that where we now have uh, specific characters on skiffs. And so the navigator on skiff became a thing. And that kind of went down the line uh, to where we have it now, where uh, the model is super cool. I don't know how to describe it, really. I don't know if Mantic will have their video out in time for it, but the best way that my my description of it would be the Oracle from 300 meets like Night Stalkers. So it's, cool. Yeah, it's it is an unbelievably cool looking model. And even on the skiff, I think it's going to look freaking amazing. It's definitely not what I thought. So it doesn't have a hand crossbow anymore. Uh, that had to be gotten rid of. But it did keep a very short range shooting attack to give it something to do. And then why don't you take us through the auras it ended up with? It ended up with Vicious Melee for Twilight Elves, which comprises a chunk of the list. Uh, it ended up with Aura Life Leech 2 for Cronbound, so you can get your, your Night Stalker uh, meat wall, shield wall, uh, just tanky units, basically. And you have Aura uh, uh, Spell Word and Stealthy for Void Touched, which is a uh, more specific subset of units, including Impalers. So Impalers, again, benefiting from those specifically are incredibly tanky, where you can switch between those. Yeah, uh, remember, Impalers are Twilight, Elf, and Void Touch, so right. as you're walking up, you have the aura to give them Stealthy and Spell Ward, and then if they get into combat, you can give them Vicious with the, uh, the Twilight Elf only, but it gives you a really interesting in agency. That's what I like playing with the Navigator, is that it's not just like a blanket thing. I have to decide Okay, what aura do I want to use? Where and remember, auras are specific to where that character is placed, too, right? So again, it's not a special rule that you're just handing out. You have to think about okay, where do I want the aura? Where where is my guy going to be? Do I want to have my navigator on foot because he's easier to hide and protect? Do I want to put him on a skiff so he gets unit strength and his aura has a bigger base that it's coming out of, but then he's easier to to be targeted, right? So it's really it gives you some interesting choices. And I'll speak about, you know, we, the Navigator is is a female. It's essentially a female that's been heavily corrupted. So, you know, Matt said 300 Oracle. Lots of, of flowing energies and garments, but th this is an elf that has been in the void for entirely too long because they understand it, they know it, and they can help guide the other host, you know, essentially through it. Uh, but they are they are really corrupted in their flesh and and just, you know, they're, they're missing limbs that have been like kind of withered away. Uh, and the other twilight can are just, they're kind of spooked by these chicks because uh, they're, they're a little too connected to the void and it's, it's how they tap into this stuff. But, you know, from a gameplay perspective, like you said, being able to, to pair it with a variety of things in the list and overlapping keywords and how you can throw things on. I've, I've enjoyed this thing with the loot quite a bit. Cause if you, you know, with loot and from being able to throw a Bane Chan on and then slapping a vicious aura on something like that's just an immediate massive multiplier of damage output. But at the same time, like there's other things that you could do that would, you know, spell word and stealthy 
stretching out defensively, you you need some defensive options in this list quite a bit. So the flexibility is amazing. And the fact that you can just kind of run around and do different things, you know, obviously the horn would be a good option, but there's, there's some really cool stuff that it synergizes with. Matt said maybe not must include, but I think you're going to want to consider one, you know, I think you will get a one. Yeah. I think you're going to want one. Uh, I've been running one on avoid skiff because I like that unit strength of the uh you know the guy on the the chariot or whatever at end of the game unit strength and you would be surprised which is again fascinating you may hear that and be like oh my gosh i'm automatically gonna put it behind my impaler so that i can give them stuff but there's other things in the army that are also a void touch that you might want to give stealthy and spell ward to too so i found games that when my navigator is off helping support other aspects of the army not necessarily always right behind the impaler. So you do have choices, but it's it it was definitely I think one of the the trickiest things to figure out both from playtester feedback and from just trying to build it out is figuring out how much people uh, evaluate one unit strengths because that's probably the biggest difference between the foot one and the skiff one is yeah. the unit strength. Like yeah, it has some some other stuff on top of that. Like the skiff does things. Man, was that hard to pinpoint because playtesters were constantly like, oh, I'd never take the skiff one or oh, I'd never take the foot one. And that was a perfect example of trying to figure out the the the, the sweet spot for it has definitely been tricky between those two versions of what is essentially a, almost the same unit. And it's a play style thing too, right? Some people yeah. who are familiar with playing that style of army where they like to have unit strength one things with speed at the end of the game to turn and go go run towards an objective. If that's your bag, here's a good choice for it. But also being able to hide your navigator behind another unit so he can't be seen or touched and you're just taking him as just a straight up, I'm taking this guy as an aura. Uh, he's my aura bot, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. all that I want from him. That's a choice that you can make in your list and uh, army design. Yeah, I mean, Kyle's talking about putting Baneshan on one. Um, the horn is definitely something that I've seen tested out and played around with. Um, inspiring Talisman is always a good go-to for things that don't come natively with Inspiring. That's that's where I think I took mine uh, when I was running it a, uh, around on a skiff, was the Inspiring Talisman. Also, I'm putting yeah. mine on a skiff just because of modeling, too. I want to have like a hero on a skiff. I mean, I'm already trying to think about what cool multi, you know, what cool dynamic basing I want to do for it. So that's also a choice too. If maybe you don't want to take a unit of skiffs for whatever reason, but you want to have a skiff in your list. I love that you do have a couple hero options to put them on a skiff. So if you still want to have that element in your army, but don't necessarily want to have a full unit of them, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't fit your play style or your list design. You have that choice to put a hero on one. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure we're we're actually sending the models out with three in the box, and you could easily put really? two on the base, and then you got an extra one to use for the heroes. Oh, perfect. Nice. Awesome. Well, there you go. Value. Value. And speaking of models, you know, we've talked a little bit about design. We've talked some stats. You know, moving forward, Kyle, can you just take us again through sort of what the release schedule, what what the release window is moving into the fall, like, uh, when people can expect to be able to pre-order, buy these guys. What are we looking at for this fall for Twilight Kid? You know, we, we put them on our trade order forms, but we still have an embargo because we haven't uh, uploaded the pictures yet for them to post. So there are some, I think there was one UK account that already posted that they had them up as pre-orders because they have the product codes and it has the full 
you know, list of what the different releases are going to be and the prices and that kind of thing, but it doesn't have any of the pictures and what they look like uh, just quite yet. But it, we're, we're looking at, you know, in the round mid-October, as long as everything comes in on time, uh, it's all ready to go. It's literally just putting it together and making sure that we can get it out. We should have pre-orders going up within the next week or two, realistically. Uh, Worms has taken a lot of focus from Mantic's perspective. But at the same time, um, we know that this is a very big release. It's going to coincide with, you know, Clash of Kings coming later in November. Um, but the Twilight Kin list will be in that book. We'll probably get it up on the companion as well. Uh, it's just it's one of those things that I, I think that we're pretty much ready to go on the pre-order launch. And as long as the photography and the painting and everything came back and we're ready to roll, uh, you should see it very, very soon. That's awesome. Yeah, so keep a lookout late September, early October. I know I will be ordering mine through the Loose Caboose Hobby Store in Napa, which I went to go pick up some glue, and I saw they had a Kings of War sign in the window, and I thought my head exploded. I took a picture of it, and I sent it to Kyle, and I sent it to Rob, and I was like, oh, my God, there's a store in my Napa, California selling Kings of War stuff. We're also one of the first things that we're doing. Uh, this is unique. Uh, the there's an assassin in the list, and it is going to be a vault exclusive. Ooh, exciting! Yeah. So nice. something to look forward to there. For there's also going to be like, yeah. There's also going to be you know like banners and different. Ronnie's talked a lot about having you know extra bits that we we don't do anymore. You don't see you know the banners and Shocks musicians and that kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So there was a there was a number of them that were designed for the Twilight King. I think especially the Corsairs. Like there's this nice like flayed flesh banner. It made it into the artwork, ironically enough, but it's not on the hard plastic frame. But those kind of upgrades and cool things are going to be into uh, the Corsairs. And since they've got a you know a variety of different upgrades that you can kind of tweak them with, then those are good ways to sort of distinguish what you know what kind of variations on the Corsairs you might do. Um, so there's spaces in the vault to help support new releases that are being released the traditional way throw maybe some of the bling on the vault is the idea yeah i mean this is an assassin you're not making a whole unit out of it, it you know whole multiple things out of it it's a really cool model too but uh mm -hmm. it yeah it, it's it's the design is is for the vault is to think you know how are ways that we can supplement the hard plastics and then just throw a little bit of a splash you know in there as well so kind of cool well, we're going to take a break, and on the other side, we'll wrap up the show. We'll be right back. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Countercharge. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. And we are back. Wow, guys, really awesome episode. Thank you so much to Kyle for coming on. Thank you so much to Matt. So I do it. we do it on the List Builder Studio, and... I love asking, and I'll ask you first, Kyle, give me your elevator pitch. Why would you, why do you, are you excited to play Twilight Kin? Or why might you say if you meet that someone at the elevator and they ask you, why, why should I start collecting and get into Twilight Kin? What would you tell them? Well, I am severely biased in this, but I, I will still uh, roll with it. Uh, I think that this army has the potential again i want to hit on all the things that we already talked about but that's reinforcing it has the potential you could play it so many different ways 
uh, th- there's really not a bad option in the list. I've heard some of the testers, you know, repeat that nothing stands out to me as being broken either. You know, like not, I don't look at anything and go, Oh God, that's gross. Uh, everything seems to work in different synergies where stuff can come together. We've got brand new models that are coming out for it with, you know, really nice crisp design on the hard plastics. You know, it's, it's, a fantastic time to put together a list with new Mantic models to recruit people into and show, Hey, this is the cool shit that they're doing nowadays. I mean, this is a a next level kind of thing and any way that you want to do it and kind of champion a faction to, to say, this is the the level that Mantic is at now. uh, This is it. This is the point to jump on. What about you, Matt? What's your elevator pitch? Probably going to end up echoing Kyle quite a bit here. Uh, And that one, I'm, I'm aware that I have a lot of, bias from the designer standpoint of feeling good about the list and wanting it to succeed. But I, I will temper that with the, we went through a lot of iterations again, 16 different versions of this list before it uh, ever sees the light of day, approximately nine to 10 of those before it even made it to play testers. Um, so it, it went through a lot of revisions. We put a lot of thought and effort into trying to make sure that this list from a rule standpoint was unique um, while also still maintaining those core tenets of Kings of War's simple design philosophy, we put a lot of effort into making sure that uh, no unit was not going to be playable. So not that they're overpowered. Um, again, if we, we don't do that, we we focus heavily on just making sure it's a list that can be played. In fact, if anything, uh, playtesting had several units get toned down during playtesting, um, and it had a couple units get toned up, which means we undershot some and we overshot others. So we we had evolutions both through playtesting before playtesting. The list has definitely gone through refinements. Some stuff has stayed fairly consistent from its original ideas. Some stuff has changed massively um, just due to uh, watching games, playing games, feedback from games, feedback from playtesters. It's come a long way. Um, I'm excited to see it out in the general public and, you know, for uh, for everyone to get their eyes on it and get their, you know, see those lists start going up online, seeing people posting it, you know, for, for all of that uh, to just come out and be in the open air. Uh, Cause yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited to have people get their hands on it. That's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I'm excited not only for twilight kin in this list, which I think is awesome, but I'm excited for the state of the game in general. Like you said, not only is twilight kin coming out, but there's tons of, of, of great clash work. And just to see, you know, see the the promise of the game start to become more robust and that we're seeing key. It's like what you said, Matt, the idea of each army having something special and not not necessarily they just have more of a special rule that's in everything. But, uh, you know, what's what's an army sort of thing? That is what a lot of people who maybe want a little bit more depth or a little bit more robustness have wanted is just like, how do we find that space where we get away a little bit from the chess aspect of it? Whereas I know in, in, in saying this, I want to respect the fact that some some people like that, like we said, totally, totally fair. But I think in general, sort of when we're thinking about how do we make it the best game for as many people as possible? I really feel like we're, we're, we're beginning to discover that Goldilocks area. And this army does in many ways, from the models, from the rule design, it does feel like a turning point in the game system. So I'm really curious, as you guys are, to see it released into the wild 
and see what what people come up with. Well, any final shout outs? Any 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 people to thank or any anyone? Um, any anything you guys want to say as we wrap up the show? I will happily thank the work of all the rules committee members. This is obviously Matt's here with us today. Uh, we've got a variety of different commitments and uh, availability for RC members. Matt's been you know very available in that sense but everyone obviously contributes and puts a lot of thought and effort into things and so i those guys do quite a bit you know we mantic doesn't uh matt said it before if if we wanted to make stuff just busted to sell models we could do that we don't have you know we're we're asking these guys to give their time and their feedback along with all of the play testers to help make the game as good as possible. Uh, they've taken direction extremely well throughout this entire year cycle on what we wanted to achieve and I think gave us what we were looking for. So uh, it's a tremendous thank you from me and Mantic in general to the Rules Committee to come together and, and put together a list and and the work that they do on it it's, has been spectacular. Yeah, Kyle Kyle beat me to it, but I, I was going to give a shout out to... yeah. I, anything that I'm saying on here are mostly just reflective of my personal views. I don't want to fully be like, yeah, all the RC says this type of thing, but everyone on it has put in a tremendous amount of work to make sure that it has come full circle that we've gotten to this point and that we can get this level of a release. I think, I think we've, we've turned a new page and kind of really shown what we can do production wise. Again, it took us, took us a little bit to get our feet. Like I said, night stalkers, Hopefully we'll get another uh, shot at them in the future, but at least for, or it'll, it'll come through a clash update most likely, at least for, for what we've been able to achieve since then, I think we've been really focused and really coming together on that. I also definitely want to give a shout out to Kyle because having that ability to bounce back and forth from Mantic, like I said, Kyle's had to put up between uh, probably anywhere upwards of 200 plus questions within the first week of posting the general design concepts for me is to like give me more details and just having that bounce back from Mantic definitely makes the job a lot easier. Um, I want to thank our play testers as a whole um, who give us their time and energy and whether or not they realize it, uh, it does go a huge way into shaping the direction of the game and the direction of an individual list and concepts. And I want to thank the community at large for also, you know, you know, voicing their, their opinions and their, uh, wants and desires in constructive ways that allow us to take that and evolve on it and riff on it, so to speak, and come up with uh, the best rules for the best game that we can provide y'all. Yeah, and that's sort of my takeaway is that the people who are working on the game, either the playtesters, rules committee, or my limited window into how that does is even when people disagree, the through through point are the DNA is that the people involved in the game love the game and want the game to do well. You know, they want it to be a robust, absolutely right. A great game for as many people as possible. Uh, maybe sometimes there's, there's debate around how to do that. Like you mentioned, but the goal still is to try to create the best game as possible. And um, I think that part of that is is listening to feedback and and all those things. And it's just one of those things. I love the 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 age old maxim, you know, that idea of be the change you want to see in the world. So I think feedback is good. But the more that we can leverage our feedback through constructive lenses, our talk about uh, being solution driven, 
or it doesn't mean that we always have to agree with everything that RC does or everything that Mantic does as, as the community and fans. It's how do we uh, take our feelings and present them in ways that can be actionable, right? The, the example I usually give people is uh, the, uh, I have an upset partner scenario, right? So like I've got a you know, person I've been hanging out with, we've been going steady for a while, stuff like that. And they're like, I'm mad at you. I'm like, okay, that's feedback. I can't really do much with right? <laughs> you got to tell me why, like what, you know, if you've got feedback, if you don't like something, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I support that. I'm, I'm here for you. You got to tell me why, you know, what do you not like? What specifically do you not like? What would you like to see that changed? What's the behavior you want to see from the game, so to speak? Yeah. That's, that's, you know, how you have a good relationship. That's how you have a good relationship between us, the designers and everyone else, the community. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to change that way, right? Because we're effectively in, to, to, to really stretch this example, we're in a polyamorous relationship with 10,000 plus people at the same time. So we've got to, we got to balance that a bit, but yeah. that's, that is the best way is not only to, to give us ideas that we can take and potentially implement, because we do do that. The frozen rule and the frozen interaction started with a community member making a suggestion that came from a community member and we took it and we riffed on it. And that's how we got to where we are now. That's also what we look for. I would say in our playtest group is players who not only say, Hey, I don't like this, but they, they can go into detail and specifics about this is what I think, you know, what I think about this, what I think needs to change about this. This is what I expect the results to be from that, like providing the full on engineering explanation. Uh, that's absolutely what we look for in playtesters. Um, and potentially, if you, I assume, for Mantic, what they look for in future RC members. Yeah. Um, so it's a good thing. If you want to be more active in, in the process, maybe you start making some of those posts. I think that doesn't go unnoticed, right? If you see someone with a good absolutely mind, right? It, it does not go unnoticed. And I'm not saying that we all have to agree either, because I know as miniature gamers, for many of us, our second favorite hobby besides miniature gaming is complaining about things on the internet is hobby there's number the two. two the words I, I love that mean the there are two yeah. things war gamers hate the way things are and, and change exactly so I, I and i'm totally aware of that and i'm not saying we all have to agree or that you guys all need to be positive like us or like me or like whatever all i'm asking for is in the dialogue in the relationship in the back and forth when we are discussing these things about the game that we love let's try to be focused around what is changeable how can we change that how do we build consensus how do we you know think about upstream investment like how do we invest in the game now so that it's the game that we want it to be five years from now or 10 years from now like this whole idea of trying to uh recruit the next generation is so important because eventually we're all gonna die and be old and it's gonna be me and rob in our 60s playing kings of war someplace you know what i mean we got to recruit the the next generation so just think about that 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 not only does the game need to be fun for us, but we need to think about how do we promote this hobby that we love so that it continues to grow and live and exist beyond just us. Absolutely. You might not like everything that's out there or it's presented with it, but, uh, you know, just if, if you don't like it, in my opinion, I, I you know, we, we, we tried to make things for as many people as possible, but at the same time, you know, it's, I, I'm excited about this. I, I didn't make it for me. There's a whole group of people that that add input and uh, from a design studio to rules committee members and playtesters and all kinds of things that end up coming up with a product. And 
you know, it's like Matt said at the very, very beginning, you can't make everybody happy. You, you, you try to make something that makes the most sense possible with this list. And I think what was achieved most of all is that the variety of units that you can pick all make sense for a certain play style that you want to put together. All the options can give you, you know, really good insight into exactly the kind of build that you want to go for. Uh, nothing overlaps and that kind of thing. I, it's it's great in that sense. We've got brand new models and hard plastics out the wazoo for it. So it's it, it just comes together and it works and it makes sense. And and this is where we ended up. But uh, if you don't like the list, I'm, you can play something else. That's fine. But in my opinion, this is this is the direction that we can take everything in the future with. The kind of the changes in the in the development that can happen, especially once we look at uh, you know what comes in fourth edition. Like how do we how do we redesign each of the armies at that point in time? Yeah, well, when we get our uh, completely refreshed hard plastic sisterhood models, which I know are uh, uh, are uh, and that's that's just like my thing, right? I know every time I have Matt on a show or Kyle on a show, I got to talk about hard plastic sisterhood models because. That's my. I don't know what you're talking about, about that. That's yeah, all, Kyle, buddy. Yeah, it's me and Jonathan Quayle together <laughs> are on this mission, to, uh, on this mission to make uh, sisterhood and base. No, this is based on nothing. This is me just joking. But um, yeah, so much cool stuff to come uh, in the future. Uh, I'm I'm totally excited for Twilight Kin. I can't wait. Uh, I'm gonna be working on them pretty much right away. Is whenever they drop, so I'll be posting pictures of the my Twilight Kin in the Countercharge Facebook group. Um, it'll be a great opportunity if you want to jump in on any of our slow grow paint challenge stuff. That would be a great opportunity to do that. Uh, get ready for the narrative campaign. You know, Rob's both the one Mantic's doing, and then uh, you know, stay tuned more for the event that. Uh, Rob et al. are are working on to do narrative and yeah, it's just going to be a great fall. I think we're gonna have a lot of exciting stuff in the magic world, both from firefight and from Kings of war, both. Uh, so whatever your sort of uh, dish you're interested in, there's going to be something new, new coming out for it. So. Something I will say is, you know, if you're looking forward to the Clash of Kings book and everything that's coming there, we, I've mentioned this on a prior cast when we were at Masters, but the Trident Realm and Abyss are going to have lighter touches in that book, and that's on purpose. Again, this was listening to the community and getting the feedback that what we did with the Northern Alliance and Night Stalkers at the start of this year, you know, we updated the Red Book, the Kings of War 2023 book, the Compendium, whatever you want to call it. And then immediately change the rules again within a couple of months after that dropping. So if the Trident Realm and the Abyss changes are light in the Clash of Kings, there's a reason for that. Sit tight. So if you, were to read, if you were to read the bones, they yeah. would tell you that there might be something more robust coming down the pipeline for those two. Correct. Okay. Well, and that's you guys listening to feedback, right? Because I think that was a, that was a valid feedback, which is why I just bought this updated book, and now you're updating it again. Correct. What you know, so it's you're trying to listen to because I think it's it's okay for us to give valid or to give critiques on something. You know what I mean? Obstacles are a pathway to mastery. It's how we grow and how we get better. Is you can't be risk adverse or or critique adverse. You know, you have to listen to to educate it. But if you if you just go, you know, start burning your armies. I mean, like that's like. How can you, what can you do? Like you come home and your girlfriend's burned your house because she's mad. Like you're talking about Matt. It's like, well, I can't really do much. I can't do much about that. If you just burn all my stuff, you know, uh, you gotta, you gotta tell me, help me help you. Right. 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 
Yeah, uh-huh. it's it's very much the the help me help you. I'm yeah. I'm I'm here to listen. Believe me, I read I read uh-huh. every single post, no matter how much sometimes it hurts me to read it. I read every single like I, I keep track of all the different Facebook groups. I keep track of the Kings of War forum. I keep track of uh, anywhere that I can find at least digitally to to maintain uh, a presence in the both the uh, Counter Charge Discord, obviously. Um, as well as the uh, Mantic Discord, and even the Kings of War Discord, though the Mantic one's significantly more active. And my DMs are are always open. I think one of the the funniest things for me is that I was I was warned that uh, I would get a, a tidal wave of DM messages, uh, constantly being like, "Ah, oh, fix this, fix this, fix this." That never happened. So uh, if if you want to, you can always send me suggestions. That doesn't mean it's gonna change. And understand that I still work on my own schedule, so I might, you know, not respond immediately. But I do read them. I do read those suggestions. Um, and I usually say, hey, you know, this is my thoughts on that. I'll give it to you straight. Um, so, Fantastic. but yeah, we're, we're always looking for that feedback. Yeah, make sure if you haven't joined the Countercharge Discord Discord channel. That's where After Dark is held. We have After Dark. We have rooms. If you want to do UB battles and you want to hang out in the Countercharge community, you can do UB on there. Uh, uh, pretty regular. There's a regular group of guys, the Australia guys, you know, and then uh, you know Felix, Rashad, Matt's on there. A bunch of bunch of people. On, you know, sorry if I if I don't match you. Paige is on there too, right? good community to have some place to hang out and paint. So make sure you join that if you have not already. And I want to say thanks again from the show. Thanks to Kyle and Mantic for coming on. Thanks to Matt for coming on to give the RC perspective, get your pre-orders in, get ready, get excited for a spooky Halloween uh, with Twilight Ken on that. Remember to always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on countercharge please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the countercharge kings of war podcast facebook group if you enjoy the show you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on itunes until next time keep countercharging Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.